Hey, just want to take a quick break from this episode so I could tell you guys about how I just launched my new Patreon page. If you don't know about Patreon, it's a great way for people to support creators with a monthly subscription. Becoming a Patreon supporter can even come with a few perks, like early access to new episodes and getting special shoutouts on the podcast. I've recently started working part-time at my job so I can focus more time and energy on the podcast and YouTube channel. So any support would be massively appreciated, and it helps me towards my hope of making this my full-time job someday. So if you want to help support me in that, please head over to patreon.com slash hooptheory. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash hooptheory. Thank you so much for listening, and enjoy the rest of the show. Isaiah Thomas episode of the Hoop Theory Podcast, aka episode 60. My name is Logan Wortman, and as usual, I'm joined by my fabulous co-host, Jacob Roth. Jacob, how does it feel to be the on the Isaiah Thomas episode? Feels pretty great, mostly because of which Isaiah Thomas it is. That's mm-hmm. what feels that, great. Yeah, the it's young short one. King Isaiah Thomas, Boston legend Isaiah Thomas. Mm-hmm. Honestly, now that I think about it, Boston and back injuries don't have a great history. Yeah, honestly. I mean, there's two people, but that's more than most franchise and back injuries, you know? Mm-hmm. Probably. Like, I mean, unless you count Michael Porter as three by himself because he's had three back surgeries. I guess. <laughs> I was more saying like individual. Because yeah. like Larry Bird obviously was the peak Celtic and as depressing as it is at the time, Isaiah Thomas was like, yeah, he really was. Well, because people forget he averaged like 30 points a game. Mm-hmm. And was like third in MVP. Yeah, like it gets mm-hmm. – it's wild. Yeah. Like when you put it – like that season is a season that will get forgotten by people. But like you'll look back and be like, he did what? That's and, crazy. And the very next season, uh, like well, in that playoff run – Is when his, he hurt his back. And his uh, sister or brother died or whatever. Yes, and I'm, then I, and I'm not I'm not gonna remember, so I'm not even gonna try to remember. Yeah, but something very very Tragic. very unfortunate and sad happened. And then um, in the off season, Danny Ainge traded him for Kyrie Irving, <laughs> which <sighs> yeah, which is a, a like the all time Ainge move of like. Well, and I think that was also because Kyrie didn't work out, like the start of the end. Like, Danny Ainge technically left on his own terms. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it was also like a – that was the thing because that was the first time after that is when KD – because KD was that season, wasn't he? KD, what about him? KD we, uh, was that. The Post-OKC. Or was that the year before? Oh, yeah. No, that was um... – Maybe this is Anthony Davis was no, the next offseason. So the trade happened in the offseason – between 17 and 18. So Durant was the summer before. So then AD was the summer, that summer. Where he was, uh, like, or was he was a free after. agent. Yeah. I just remember that everybody was like, nobody wants to come to Boston because you're not treated like a human. You're treated just like oh. a piece. Yeah, no, that was during, while AD was forcing his way out of New Orleans. That was uh, 2018. So it was that season. So it was before all that went down. Or well, okay. When I say 2018, 
It was wait before. Yeah, yeah. So the Isaiah Thomas trade happened in the summer before the the season in which uh, the AD thing AD happened. stuff happened. Yeah, mm-hmm. because I just remember that being like a big like like thing because the Celtics looked way better when Kyrie wasn't playing, and so I just remember like oh we had all this optimism. Mm-hmm. Like oh yeah, and then it just wasn't optimism because it yeah. just did. Kyrie did not work out. Yeah, I'm also. I just got that wrong. Ad Ad was the next year. It was eighteen nineteen, one hundred percent sure. Because his first year with the the Lakers was the bubble year, which would have been twenty twenty, which was the championship. Yeah, mm-hmm. I just remember that the Boston doesn't treat players like players; they treat them like oh yeah, mm-hmm. which Regard- was a yeah. huge narrative during the Anthony. It wasn't Katie; it was Ad. Mm-hmm. Mixed up my alphabet. Yeah, um, it was during dad, the eighty sweepstakes. It was like he's not going to play for Boston. Mm-hmm. They don't know loyalty or. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to misquote uh, Anthony, Anthony Davis's dad. Yeah, I was going to say Anthony Davis Senior, but I don't even know. Yeah, I'm not sure what his name is, honestly. But yeah, so uh, we got it, this was a guess what oh, it is, does, right? It's Anthony, Anthony Davis, Davis Senior. Senior. All right, let's go. Nice. Um, but yeah, so this was another draft pick episode. It officially the last one, unless we do some really obscure thing from when the Emergency. draft used to be longer. Um, so like the you know there's some I don't know what the longest draft in NBA history was, like how far the picks go out completely. Yeah, but, uh, traditionally it's sixty. It's been that way for a long time now. So this is w- would be the last one. Think of it like that. And Isaiah Thomas, technically, it's debatable on whether he's the goat of pick 60 uh, because Michael Cooper was also pick 60 For this podcast. He is. Sorry. Yeah. I thought that he's a much more like relevant to, to our podcast than yeah. a Michael Cooper. So that's why he got the nod, but yeah. So if you guys listened to last episode, we went through half of the GM survey. Um, we started, I started rambling and it just, did not go right. It's a great episode, but good conversations. It was no, it was great conversations, but there was just not enough time to get through it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah. So our plan is to finish that one out today, uh, going through the final sections of the GM survey. But before we do that, um, we are going to recap those, uh, over under picks that we did six episodes on, uh, for the, all the di- different divisions. And so, because this is going to be, I think, unless something different happens, wildly different, this is going to be the last episode that comes out before opening night, which is on the 24th. We are recording this a week before that on the 17th. So we just decided we're probably going to, you know, lock in our picks here and kind of mull over. Now that we have all of the divisions in mind, we've gone through them. Now we can kind of see, oh, like, change up our picks a little bit to make it more, make more sense to us. But yeah, we'll try to do that quickly. So, cause I have way too many unders. Like I'm almost positive that I just was like, teams are gotten better. People are going to lose. And I just mm. have way too many unders. So, yeah. So we'll start off looking at the Atlantic division, Boston Celtics. Their line is 54 and a half. I use my stay away on the Boston Celtics. You went over then Brooklyn Nets, 37 and a half. We both went under. Knicks, 44 and a half. We both locked our overs. And then 76ers, 48 and a half. I went over. You use your stay away. Then the Raptors, 36 and a half. We both went under. I feel great about that because that was pre-Drew Holiday. 
So I feel even better about my over on that now. And I'm good with my stay away still being the Sixers because who knows if things get exploded or how, what they get for James Harden could very dramatically impact their regular season performance. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm thinking of maybe moving my lock to maybe the uh, Nets under. under. Yeah. I th- yeah, that's a uh, that's one that is appealing, but I'm going to I'm going to stick with my boy. Uh, yeah, I was also thinking of doing the Raptors under locking that one. That one feels interesting, too. But, but there's, I just wonder if there's a chance for like this Raptors team, but they're probably going to lose a piece. Now, like the more like you always hear about. Uh, a spicy P or an OG has like been in constant trade talks for forever. Mm-hmm. So maybe, maybe he like they won't be this year. But I just feel like under a new team or a new coach, maybe they just make things work, and that just is a bad idea to doubt them because they yeah. have a lot of good pieces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe Scotty Barnes is a breakout player. You know, like a guy yeah. that. That would be kind step. of a must, I feel like, for them to hit the over, to be honest. Yeah, but the Brooklyn the, under is definitely appealing for the lock. Mm-hmm. So are you locking into that? Yep, I'm locking into that. And then also I'm moving my stay away to the Knicks, which is odd because that's who I just had my lock on. But 45 yeah. wins is just like, now that I'm looking back at that, I'm surprised at how sure like or confident I felt about locking it. I might have been sipping the um, Kool-Aid and like talk to you into the slocking the over instead of just going the over. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to put my stay away on the Knicks, and so then that means I moved it off of the Celtics, so I'm going to go over on the Celtics. I think that they will probably hit 55 wins. I'm going to lock the Celtics over, actually. I'm going to just do it. All right. I feel like that'd be it. Like if I'm not going to put my money where my mouth is. Mm-hmm. And so then – your Knicks will just remain as a normal over. It'll just stick as a normal over. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I could lock twice, I would because I really like what's going on. But I feel like with this, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to. We've got Buffalo Soldier. We've got the, the deepest guard room in the NBA. Yeah, for real, honestly. At least four the, dudes the that deepest, could be like four. Yeah. Yeah, because it's like. Peyton Pritchard could be a starter on some bad teams or a six man on most teams. Drew, JB, and Drew uh, Derek White. Mm-hmm. I feel good about all of those guys playing NBA minutes. Uh, pretty pretty aggressively, actually. Yeah. I feel great about that. So for sure, yeah. And they you like one of those guys being injured, you can still be a very formidable team, survive pretty easily. We went from zero point guards. Well, okay, we'll call it one point guard to like. Three, kind of. And I'm very excited. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think that does it for the Atlantic then. Then we can move on to the Central Division. So we have the Chicago Bulls. Their line was 37 and a half. We both went under. Then there's the Cavs, 50, uh, 50 and a half. I went over. You locked the under. And then the Pistons, 28 and a half. I locked the over. You just went over. Uh, the Pacers, 38 and a half, we both went over. And the Bucks, 54 and a half, we both went stay away. Because this was before the, the damn trade. Um, I'm going to keep my, my stay away. I think so too, honestly. My lock was over? 
Under on the Cavs. Under on the Cavs. What's the number? 50 and a half. I'm just not convinced Donovan Mitchell is going to make it work. I'm going to stick with it. I'll stick to my guns. Keep Mm -hmm. some variety. Keep some variability. If I take a three-point L, I take a three-point L. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Because I just think that there's a world where they just, they're going to be good. I don't know what I'm thinking. It doesn't matter. (laughs) 50 is just a hard number. Yeah, 51 is going to be a hard number to reach. That's exactly what they did last year, but I think they're going to have a little bit more competition. The bottom of the East has risen. The top hasn't necessarily, like, vaulted higher. Yeah. But the bottom of the East is definitely much closer to like the bubble teams than it was last year. Yeah, you'd expect the Pistons, the Pacers, and the Magic, and the uh, even the Hornets. Hornets to all have better records this season than they did last year. So also not doesn't impact the Hornets. Who? Do, oh, it was OKC. We'll talk about that when we get to the Northwest. Okay, so on to the next division, which is I think actually the Northwest. Um, just making sure I'm looking back at the central to make sure that we don't have anything else to touch on there or that I don't, at least I think I'm good, honestly, on the central I lock the, the over on the Pistons 28 and a half. It's a pretty low bar. So yeah, I feel good there onto the Northwest division. The nuggets line is 52 and a half. I lock the over you went under then the Timberwolves, their over-under line was 44.5. I went under. You locked the over. And then the Thunder is 44.5. We both went over. Uh, the Blazers, 27.5. We both used our stayaways. But at the time when we did this, it, the line was nothing. There wasn't even a line to, to put a... And that's why we like made ourselves use the stayaway because there wasn't anything to go off of. Yeah. But I just found their – I looked up their line recently after the damn trade happened. Uh, so 27.5 is the number that I think we can work with now. Uh, the Jazz is 35.5, and, and we both went under on the Jazz. So I, I still feel like I'm going to stick with the lock on the over with the Nuggets. I'm going to bump mine to over. I don't know what crack I was smoking. All right. Over on the Nuggets – um, and then maybe, maybe I don't, maybe I do do something with the blazers, honestly, move my stay away to the jazz. I think I'm going to leave my stay away with the blazers because I don't know. I don't think this team is done moving assets. Oh, so really? They, like they could flip a couple more pieces and just get worse. Oh yeah, yeah. So you were you would think that you might pick over here on twenty seven and a half? I'd pick under. They'd get worse, I think. Yeah, so but then why why wouldn't you pick it then? So why do you Because I already have my stay away there and I feel kind of okay about everything else. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, I mean speaking sense. of the Northwest, uh we talked about it last episode actually. Kevin Porter Jr. ended up getting uh traded. Yeah, to the Thunder. To the Thunder, and the Thunder pretty much just got a, we'll eat the salary, mm-hmm. you give us picks, and then they immediately cut him. Yeah. Is what happened today. So mm-hmm. Sam Presti has gathered more picks for the future or to fill out a roster when he's got three guys that are all-star level with Shea, Giddy, and went, uh, Chet. Yeah, and it was a salary dump too. Yep, and they got rid of money 
on the yeah. books, which is big for the upcoming years is they've got to pay Giddy next year or figure out the extension for Giddy next year. Mm-hmm. Pay him in two years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just Chet's a year behind that. So they're going to have a lot of money flinging around here in a couple of years. Yeah, for sure. Rightfully so, because they're in a great situation with young players. But mm-hmm. uh, money will be flying around. Yeah. So that was an interesting trade. I think JRE, uh, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, was sent over. There's there's a couple other details that I don't remember off the top of my head. But, uh, yeah, they waived uh, Kevin Porter Jr. immediately, though. The yep, Thunder did. Victor Oladipo. Oh, yeah, Victor, that was the salary but then, probably. That was the salary, but the thing that's a tricky one is he can't. Victor Oladipo can't go, if it's a buyout, there's like a very limited list on teams he can still go to because mm-hmm. of the new CBA. I can't believe I forgot like the important part of the trade. Uh, like The actual like moving forward news is that Oladipo is probably going to get bought out is what everybody thought. Yeah. And so then there's not like a good way he can't sign with a lot of teams because they're how many over teams the- are over are there a lot of teams that are over i mean i know the celtics are um i guess this is probably not a question that we can find the answer to really fast i will look for the answer while you kind of preview into the next thing okay so you're good on the northwest though i don't have anything that i think other than the nuggets getting moved to an over i think i'm happy yeah okay so i don't know if i mentioned i moved my stay away to the jazz and I, I'm going under on the Blazers. Um, and, yeah, I feel good about everything else, honestly. So moving on now to the next division, which is the Pacific Division. And we got the Golden State Warriors here. Their line was 48 and a half. Um, I went stay away. You went over. Warriors, Minnesota, yeah. Suns. Sixers, Clippers, Nuggets, Bucks, Celtics, and Heat are all ineligible for Victor Oladipo to sign if he gets bought out. Mm. The Wizards barely slide in there. This is this is right. Yeah, this is for twenty three, twenty four. Um, You're on spot track, or what yep, are you on? Spot track. Okay, cool. Because it's Golden State two twenty five. Minnesota, I did not realize was at two thirteen. Yeah, because Suns got- are at one ninety eight. Sixers at 197, Clippers at 194, Nuggets at 191, Bucks at 189, Celtics at 185, and Heat at 184. The line is 182. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Was- Washington slides right in at 181.80. So, like, the biggest contender that could – not that Oladipo is the same Oladipo that, like, he was or thought people thought yeah. he could have turned into. Mm-hmm. But, like, you've got Cleveland that's under. The, uh, the Lakers are under. Not that I think that he would fit yeah. really at all. Uh, Pelicans are under in terms of playoff prominence. Pelicans, I don't hate the, the Pelicans or Thunder the Cleveland. Thunder are well fit. under. Um, yeah, so yeah, he was just, he was just was on the Thunder though, so I'd, he doesn't probably go back. Yeah, I well, I'm it. saying that they would get he'd get bought out and then get less money wherever he goes next. Yeah, because maybe they'd want Oladipo back just on less money. Less money, yeah. That. Knicks may not really Knicks. There's not a guard. Anyway, that would require further thought. But uh, a lot of the big contending teams, he, they're, they're just not available to pick up Oladipo for like a nice, easy, give him 12 minutes a game and just kind of let him be good at basketball. Yeah. It actually shocks me how uh, low Boston is on this. 
on the, oh the salary cap sheet yeah thing? with all the like they're only uh 3.5 like the nuggets are 4.7 over apron mm. two yeah because we got four max deal oh i think aaron Gordon's three and a half yeah. three and a, not three and a half but it's like at least it's high 20s of a year i think at least everybody else is at least like 35 ish what's crazy though is only three teams are technically under the first hard cap apron oh really yeah so that's 172 this is one the first apron is 130 something oh what is that apron that's just what the old, like the tax one used to be pretty much. Hmm. I thought it was, the floor was 122 and then the. Next uh, one was 136. Oh, really? Okay. When we Well, that's what Google said. I, this could be wrong. When we covered this before, the numbers we nailed down was 122 was the floor. Yep. And then 172 was the start of the next bracket. And then 182 was the. That's top what of it, it is. Okay. So. Going off, yeah, that's I have. I don't know why I thought one thirty six. I don't know where I got one thirty six. Maybe that's a really old number. It could be from like several years ago. Yeah, because the yeah one thirty six. No, what's the number? Yeah, these are all operating around a one thirty six number. Because it says like cap space, and then it maths out to one thirty six. As like the cap. Oh, that might be like the just the regular salary cap. That it doesn't really matter. Yeah, it's like it's the just pretend like a, cap. It's a zero. It basically it's a it's a line to compare where people are in r- relation to it. Basically, yes. So, because yeah, the National Basketball Association announced that the salary cap has been set to one point or one thirty six point oh two one million for the season, but the tax level is the one. It says 165, but first apron, 172, second apron, 182, minimum is 122. Okay, so there's more lines than I than we thought. Well, but. the lines that matter in terms of reality for team building and not just like owner pays more taxes Yeah, is 182 second apron, which is when you, it has all the restrictions if you're above that, mm-hmm. and then 172, because isn't it you don't get your mid-level exception above 182 and you can't sign... Sign uh, buyout guys. Yeah, yeah. Your mid level exception. I I think you can still use it, but it's like the, it's like the tiny one or whatever. Because like there's the veterans minimum. Yeah, it's like very. It's like four point five. It's what it's what Seth Curry just signed for. That's what you can use, which is still wild. But. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in the Pacific Division, we have the Golden State Warriors. Their over-under line is 48.5. I use my stay away. Jacob went over. Then the Clippers is 46.5. I went under. You also went under. The Lakers, 47.5. I went over. You use your stay away. The Suns, 52.5. I locked my under, and you just went normal under. And then the Kings, 44.5. I went over, and you locked the over. Okay, I'm going to have to shuffle this one around a lot. Oh, you think so? For me, because yeah. I, the more and more I think about the West, the Kings aren't going to be good again. Oh, really? Not like that, I don't think. 
Hmm. Sabonis and Fox is probably their option one, option A. Yeah. So I'll make Kings a regular under. An under. And Maybe you, I just go regular the, over. And do whatever you, you think. I'm going to do regular over. I'm going to do regular over as okay. opposed to my lock over. Lakers, I went under. They're just no. Built you to use be, your stay away. My I'm, stay away on the yeah. Lakers. Clippers was an under, and the Suns was an under. Okay, so I'm going to do my stay away on the Clippers. Yeah, that makes and sense. I'll, honestly. And I'll, and I'll do a over on the Lakers because they're just built to be better in the regular season than they were last year. Over on the Lakers, okay. And then Warriors I did over? Yep. What was the line? 48 and a half, so 49. <sighs> yeah, I'm yeah. good with that. I'm happy with that. Okay. Fair enough. Did I, did I add more wins now? I'm worried I did. You have... Uh, three overs, one under, and one stay away. And you haven't used a lock. Oh, I got a lock. I think I lock Lakers. Wow. Yeah, I guess that's the one I feel the best. No, Golden State lock over. Oh, really? All right. Yeah. I'll just lean into that. I think that Chris Paul being the leader of your second unit is broken because it is. Just, Just bust it. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, yeah, I don't feel great about it, but I, yeah, that's, yes, that's what we're doing. Fair enough. Kings, um, okay, I think I might, I don't know if I'll change anything, honestly. Lock the under on Suns, stay away on the Warriors, Kings over. If anything, I would flip. Like the thing I'm thinking about is maybe moving this my stay away to the Kings and then going under on the Warriors. Yeah. But yeah. but I'm I don't want to make our things the same because yeah. the more we talk about it, like this always happens. The more we talk about it, the closer we get to the same point. Yeah, I'll stick with it. I'll just stick with what my revisions were off the top of my brain. Cause if I think about it too hard, I'll go in circles and this division is interesting because everyone's line is high. It, yeah. The it's lowest high one to is good. Yeah, the lowest one is 44 and a half. Which I don't Kings. think is wrong. Like, I think this is one of the best divisions in basketball. It is the best, yeah, I think. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's got the most championship, not, I don't want to say potential because no one's like the top runner, yeah. but like mm-hmm. a healthy Clippers is terrifying. I think yeah. the Lakers will be much improved in the regular season. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all we're talking about is the line. It's not NBA champion odds. It's odds for wins. So it's yeah. like a tough, Yeah. There's just mm-hmm. a lot of wins to go around. Like not as many wins to go around as this team or this division needs, it feels. Mm. I feel like the Kings will be the 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 butt end of the joke again. Kings yeah. and the Clippers, if they're not healthy. Healthy Clippers, different story. But they'll be the butt end of the joke, the Kings, you said? Yeah, in terms of just losing stuff. So do you think you want to change from an over to an under? <laughs> yeah, I think I have to. This is what I mean. I'll talk myself out of anything, but I feel like I have to. Okay. Like someone has to lose. There's too many games where they play each other. Yeah. Where like people just have to lose. Yeah. I just, I don't see the Suns hitting 53 wins personally. So high too. Uh, So you you have the under on them already. So, okay. So yeah. Yeah. We both do. I locked my under on the, on the Suns. 
Um, I'll stick with my Warriors being good. They've done it before. They've seen a, a crazy regular season. Yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be happy with any of these at the end of them, but that's as happy as I'm going to be. Yeah, makes sense. All right, so that does it for the Pacific. Moving on now to the Southeast Division. So we have this, like, we're just jumping from the best division in basketball to, <laughs> to the worst division in basketball. So in this division, we have the Atlanta Hawks. Their over-under line was 41 and a half wins. We both went under on the Hawks. The Hornets is 30 and a half. I use my stay away here. You went under. The Heat, 46 and a half. I went under. You locked the under. The Magic, 36 and a half. I went over. You went stay away. Then there's the Wizards, 24 and a half. I locked the under and you went under. Um, so yeah. this was actually the Hornets was the, the Hornets line was the reason why I wanted to actually do this and revisit it because when I was looking through to make a spreadsheet out of it, um, I saw my pick on the Hornets. I was like 30 and a half. Like I, I thinking back, I was like, I thought the Hornets line was like 34 and a half or something like yeah. that, but 30 and a half, not like, I feel like getting 31 wins, which is not a lot more than they got last year without LaMelo the whole year, you know, like it just feels like that it's probably an over. So somewhat like these, the same logic of the Pacific somewhat, they play each other too often to win that many games. They play each other too often to lose that many games. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And if they have LaMelo PJ Washington looks like he might've found something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he had one crazy preseason game, but he's always been like on the edge of like, wait, did he get it figured out? Did it yeah. click? Yeah, he was like um, one of the last free agent signings this summer. Like he he was a free agent crazy. all the way up until like last month, which is crazy. Yeah, just because it feels like in a good system he'd be a way better player mm-hmm. or in a better place. Also, blue passed it in the central because I didn't think of it. Amani Bates is going to be a steal. Oh, you think so? We can talk about this for rookie of the year. Not that I think he's going to win rookie of the year. <laughs> but yeah. But that would be like a value bet, throw five bucks on it, and you'd be like, You'd win. I'm pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Uh-huh. Anyway, so, sorry. No, that that works though. I mean, you so wait, did you change anything through that? I don't I other than I agree with you, did I say under? Yeah. 30 have- and a half? That's so low. Yeah. I'm going to stick with it. I'll stick with my, my previous guns. I think it's wrong. No, then I'm going to go over. I'm just okay. going to go over because I feel like that's just wrong. Yeah. Not thinking this team will win 31 games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think I'm going to move my stay away to either the Magic or the Hawks because I feel like 42. Is my w- stay away on the Magic? Yeah. I probably was. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yours is on the Magic. I'm thinking about moving mine there because 37 wins is actually a decent amount for a bad team. You know what I mean? But there's a world where I think that like they get stuff figured out and they're just good. I know. That's why a stay away feels good. Hey, Adam, the league is primed for expansion. You could do four teams right now and the league would still be healthy. Exactly. We would still not be in the dark ages of 2011 through 2014 or whatever Mm -hmm. that stretch that is widely recognized as doo-doo cheeks. Yeah. Like there is so many guys that aren't even playing that in the right situation are a 20 point a game guy. Like that's, (laughs) that that's where the NBA is at. Uh We could 34 teams would work. I don't want to say 36 because that's kind of insane, but like 34 teams, I think that there's enough players 
that could sustain 34 com- competitive teams in the NBA. Because right now, it's it's like uber competitive where like yeah. the worst team in the league would have been a playoff team two, t- 10 years ago. Yeah, for sure. Which no, I is- totally agree. It's it's wild. Like every crappy ba- teams don't get into the like. It used to be like an eight seed was a terrible basketball team. Yeah, that that and I've thought about that too. Case anymore. Recently, eight seeds are like that is a really good team. Like <laughs> the, the te- any of the teams that make it into the playoffs for the most part are like those are really like competent basketball teams. But back in the day, I remember like oh an eight seed in the playoffs like why why are they even here? You know like like they have no competition like how the Magic used to play the Bucks in the first round, you know, like 1-8 one, one matchup. It was, like, not a competition. Yeah, this is going to be ugly. Mm-hmm. And now it's, like, it's still, like, the one seed's better. No duh. They're the yeah. one seed. Mm-hmm. But, like, it's... Way more even. Yeah, it's so much closer to the same level. Like, it's not like the the Heat beat the Bucks last year without, like, with Giannis completely out. Like, he played a decent amount of minutes in that series. And even while he was playing, the the Heat were beating the Bucks. Yes, and it so, was like, and the Heat were hot and all these things. Like yeah. they played, I had a great playoff series run, mm-hmm. but and the Bucks the only botched team that, that is about as as bad as, say, bad as you can botch a series. They did not play well at all. Yeah. Um, but like the only team that was like a little rough was the Nets, and that's because that wasn't the Nets team yeah. that had that record. They weren't supposed to be there. Yeah. Um, because if they were in the plan, I fully believe they would not have been a playoff team. Mm-hmm. They yep. would have not been in the playoffs if they if they had to make it through the play in. They yeah, would have no, not made for it. sure. They we would have seen probably Chicago. They were well under five hundred, I believe, in, after the KD trade. The only piece of optimism was Miles Bridges, McCall Bridges, McCall Bridges. Yeah, McCall, 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 Michael. Michael Bridges. I heard somebody say that today in a, in a video. It was a, um, one of those shorts on Facebook. But uh, anyways, it reminded me of how we talked about that a couple of episodes ago. But uh, yeah, so I guess, yeah, what, what you were just saying about the Nets, um, you know, they, they won a bunch of games early on in the season. They had like a 12 or 13 game winning streak. And that, so, Kevin Durant. Yeah, that set them up for some pretty good success later on. But Anyway, so looking at the Southeast Division, I locked the under on the Wizards, which I feel decent about. But I yeah, so I'll, I think I'll keep that. I think my stay away will be moved to the Hawks. Maybe I think I'm feeling the Hawks just because 42 wins, mate. Like they have talent on their roster, and Quinn Snyder as a head coach. Like maybe this will be. Yeah, see, I don't know. I feel I feel like it's probably more likely that the – yeah, I'm going to go stay away on the Hawks. Throughout all of that just back and forth and me saying absolutely nothing, I am putting my stay away on the Atlanta Hawks. So I have over on the Hornets, under on the Heat, over on the Magic, and then lock the under on the Wizards. I still love my lock under on the Heat. Yeah, I, I think that it. was a good move, honestly. I love it. This is probably the the division that I feel the strongest about the picks for. You know, like the only thing is if Hemi Hawkes cooks, and, and that I, doesn't get brought up. But yeah, it could. 
I like, actually honestly just love Hamey Hawkins. Yeah, no, no, he's good. I don't, I don't feel like he's probably going to swing a whole season for maybe, maybe, maybe I'm undervaluing what he. It could wouldn't do. just be him, obviously. Like it would be like Jimmy Butler, kind of returns to what he has, what he usually is in the regular season, because his regular season last year like wasn't insane. It just was like yeah, it hasn't been for the past couple of years, mainly because he's been out a lot. He hasn't played a lot of games. In the, regular season. The, the insanity has been in the playoffs when he's yeah. like, mm-hmm. I am an illegitimate child of Michael Jordan. Yeah. He goes from in the regular season. He's like barely missing the mark for the all-star team. Usually sometimes he makes it in um, still a good basketball player, still in the realm of top 15. Yeah. I think he was in the shorts that you can see on YouTube, TikTok, mm-hmm. uh, just about everywhere. Like he is a top 15 player, Yeah, but he's just like not, yeah, what and just regular season alone, he's probably not top fifteen. But including what he is in the playoffs, I think that kind of what what's get what gets him up into the top ten area at least. He is the anti Jamal Murray, but who, for all we know, Jamal Murray will be insane in the playoffs and regular season instead of just being like shaking off the rest the whole regular season. Yeah, so he's the same as Jamal Murray. You said anti. Sorry, I said that backwards. Oh, yeah. Like they're they're they are the they are cut from the same cloth of like mm-hmm. regular season. I don't want to say pedestrian, but it's good. It's fine. Jamal yeah. Murray, I think, was more knocking off for us, but we've talked about that in depth already. Uh, yeah. So, so I think we're good here in Southeast. Moving on to the final division, Southwest. We have the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, their line was forty four and a half. We I locked the under. You just went normal under. Rockets thirty one and a half. I went under. You locked the under. Uh, Grizzlies, 45 and a half. We both went under. Um, the Pelicans, 44 and a half. I used to stay away. You used to stay away. And then the Spurs, 28 and a half. I went over and you went under. So you went under on every team other than the Pelicans. You went stay away. I like that still. Okay. Um, and I could I, shuffle things around, but I just, I'm just going to say I like that still. Yeah, I honestly still feel pretty good about that as well. So, yeah, so the only team that I feel like is going to hit their over is the Spurs, getting 29 games. I feel pretty decent about that. So I think that will do it for the over-unders. That is set in stone now. Uh, This is official. Uh, So we'll see who wins at the end of the season and maybe do check-ins throughout the year if we run out of things to talk about. But... um, yeah, so looking at what we have next, though, we want to go through the GM survey, finish that thing off. So the next section we have to talk about in the GM survey was the rookies and international section. So uh, the first question here is, who will win the 2023-2024 Rookie of the Year? Um, obviously, the number one choice here is Victor Wenbanyama uh, with a 50% of the votes. Jacob is giving a thumbs down for the audio listeners. Um, Scoot Henderson is the second answer with 27% of the votes. Then there's Chet Holmgren, not far behind at 20%. And then at fourth is Sasha Vezenkov or Vezenkov, one of those two, uh, who is the, he was the MVP of the Euro league last season, I believe. And he is a rookie at the age of 26 or something like that, maybe even older. He's a, he is in his prime of basketball. Yeah. Or nearing his prime of basketball. Mm-hmm. 
with Sacramento. It's kind of a, a Bogdan Bogdanovich type of vibe, how he came uh, coincidentally came over to the Kings uh, when he was 25 in the middle of his prime. So, yeah, um, which it, I think he got one vote because, yeah, 3%. 3%. So um, I think that, like, this question, I get Wemby should be the odds-on favorite. But there is a world that I think Victor Wembanyama ends up third place in MV, in uh, Rookie of the Year voting. Oh, yeah. There's a world for sure. I think it's not the most common world, but it's like second place. Because if Oklahoma City ends up like a four seed and Chet's a huge part of that, mm-hmm. he has to be in the consideration. It'll be like the, the Mello versus LeBron Rookie of the Year. How? I was going to say the uh, Ben Simmons, D'Angelo, uh, Ben Simmons, uh, Donovan Mitchell. Mitchell. Because, like, Ben Simmons' team was just better and, like, was higher. Yeah, but they were both playoff teams, at least. Yes, and I don't know if Scoot or Wembenyama will have the playoff yeah, team I doubt. thing to I add. Doubt. But, they, but they're also going to be option one <clears throat> yeah. in some essence. And Chet's, like, option two and a half to three. Yeah, so it won't be exactly like Melo versus LeBron because Melo... Those was- are both, like... We're guys. Yeah. We're here. And Mello, Welcome to the club. Melo was on a really good defensive team that had no offense. So he was like their, their walking offense. It's just like go do stuff. Spot. Yeah, just go go cook. Yeah. LeBron was just given the keys to everything with the Cavs, who was still a really bad team, and they, they didn't make the playoffs. So it was like, who should we give it to? The guy who had better team success? Or, and so that, that for those that don't remember, uh, was a, I mean, I don't even remember it because I was only like five years old, but uh, that was a very close – rookie of the year voting that year uh justifiably so yeah so but yeah so i think victor Wimbanyama winning it is probably my choice for the most likely scenario but i do agree and I, I feel like i would put scoot too to be honest just because both those guys i feel like they're going to be leading the charge as like you know the best players on the team putting up the most numbers chet i think is going to have a really efficient good season uh, playing a very valuable role if chet is a definitive second option for the Thunder, and mm-hmm. they end up the four seed, I think Chet's the guy. Like, if it's Shea and then Chet, because, yeah. like, they're just different players. They're different pieces, obviously, and I, unless Chet goes crazy, Chet's not overtaking Shea Gildas-Alexander. He's just oh, yeah. not no, going no, no. to. There's no, there's, there's not a world where that happens. And he's most likely not ta- overtaking Josh Giddy, but um, he could, is what you're he saying. could, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that this rookie class, I think there's like a lot of guys that are going to end up being good. Yeah. Like I think that, well, yeah, the upcoming class, not near as prosperous, not not mm-hmm. near as much gas. Like if you wanted to be uh, paid a lot more because you'd be the first overall pick, the first like 20 picks in this year's draft could just be like, we're going to wait one more year <laughs> yeah. and you'd be the first overall next year. Yeah. Not guaranteed, but. Probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that, that's funny just with the timeline of the Wizards with how they, they could have gone all in and tanked last season, but then they were, they put it off until the next summer to to uh, tank Which, for This the... has been like a known thing for a while that yeah. the 2024 class has a dip. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. it gets crazy in 2025. Yeah, but, but that Cooper Flag kid, didn't he reclassify? Yeah, to 2025. I think. Oh, to 2025. Yeah, because he was 26. in 2026. Yeah. Okay. I knew he moved up a year, but anyway, that was the whole thing. Um, I think that this will be a very fun rookie of the year race. And it'll be the first really, really fun one we've had probably since Donovan Mitchell uh, Simmons, where it's like this really tight, close to the end, not a definitive guy that pulls away at the end of the season. 
It'll be game 82, and we'll still be like, well, I don't know who it's going to be necessarily. Last year, not like this year that just happened, but the year before that, that was really close too. It was like a three-way tie. Because it was... Cade, well, who, Scotty Barnes won it. Evan Mobley got second. I think Cade got third. I forgot about that year. Yeah. I did forget about that. Because um, everybody, like everyone you would listen to was like they had a different one of those three as their mm-hmm. rookie of the year. But uh, other than that, though, yeah, I think it would probably contest that. But this I mean, year will be, yeah, it could be, be. Three, it could be a three-way race this year too with those. And three it might guys. not be at all. Like it requires Chet to do a lot of things, but I just think that it'll be, it'll be fun. Yeah, mm-hmm. like. Oklahoma City, San Antonio, and Oklahoma City, Portland, and San Antonio, Portland. I will watch all of those games because of this race. Yeah. The yeah. entire year, pretty much. Yeah, that'll be a fun matchup. Then we have the uh, next question, which is which rookie will be the best player in five years? Uh, Victor Wimbiyama wins this one much more definitively with 90% of the votes. And then uh, the players also receiving votes, uh, one each. They have Scoot Henderson, Chet Holmgren, and Amen Thompson or Amen Thompson. Uh, so he he was not on the first question, but he's on this second one, which is interesting. But Well, I think that makes sense because like, that's the one thing with both the Thompson twins is they're like close, but they were more like upper end. I don't want to call them project pieces. They weren't like Giannis where you need to like really let them cook on the shelf. Yeah, not at all. Mm-hmm. They were not recognized as NBA they were NBA ready, but it was widely recognized that they would need a tiny bit more work than the first three than the guys first stayed. guys, other than maybe Brandon Miller. But that's weird. We're not seeing him on, on here at all. So because everyone knows that the Hornets are dumb, <laughs> like it's a widely re- like yeah, they already fumbled that one. Yeah. So we'll see how he turns out, but nothing um, will be positionally. Bad, positionally, it made sense, but, but that's I, it. That's yeah. where the end of that makes sense. Uh-huh. And in the draft, you get value. Yeah. Unless you're really good already, you just get value. Because it's not like making them fit into your system makes the Hornets a championship team. Because guess what? It doesn't. If no. you're the Nuggets, yeah, if there's value and there's a center that's slightly better, he's not playing. He's not going to start for you. Don't go get a center. Go get a Julian Strother, who looks good, by the way. Very Shout good. Um, so it, I just yeah. think that like, when you're a bad team, get the best player available the Blazers did it. They could comprehend. Even though we have Damian Lillard, let's go get Scoot Henderson. He's mm-hmm. the best player available. Yeah. I think they probably already they probably knew Dame wanted out. Was, but out of, it, was on the way out. Yeah. The, the principle still stands. Yeah. Yeah. I half agree. I think fit matters a lot to me personally, especially with even with building out a team that when you're rebuilding for the future. But I do agree that uh, Brandon Miller versus Scoot Henderson is a little. It's a huge gap. It's mainly in personality. I I feel like now I'm I'm coming more. One isn't associated like connected to a, a murder, and the other one is. Yeah, there's that one too. place that, that that's <laughs> even more so. But like Brandon Miller to me gives me a little bit of a uh, I don't want to say Carl Anthony Towns, but like you know, there's just some players that are talented that I don't want to hear them talk most of the time, like because <laughs> whenever they talk or just even watching them play is like they're they have. They have all the talent. They could they could be just as talented, if not more talented, as a different player. Like it's hard to not deny them that. Like Cat is a very talented center, one of the best in the league. Mm-hmm. But he's not a winning basketball player. He's just not. Like he he's may- not a Derek White. Was that on the podcast or was that before? That was before. Ah, uh, but we didn't even talk about that video. 
What? Oh, well, yeah. Because the- you, you mentioned that we might open with that. And we just didn't. It yeah. doesn't matter. But um, yeah, we can. <laughs> we'll see if we can fit it in. But there's uh, the cat the cat thing, though, was uh, like he's just not a winning basketball player because there's so many plays that happen towards the end of games where like he has five fouls and he is like going and contesting every shot with reckless abandon and like, you know, being very physical um, and just uh, he doesn't have an awareness of the moment. His like, basketball number and basketball IQ are the same. 32. Oh, for like a uh, 2K rating? Is that what you mean? No, no, no. Like basketball IQ, if it was like a normal IQ oh, scale. IQ, okay, IQ score. Basketball IQ score yeah, and, yeah. and uh-huh. basketball number are so identical. That's even, that's even worse than a 32 2K basketball, you know, because, yeah. I mean, at what's average is 100, right? Because like, it's a sliding scale IQ. I think. Say. Yeah, I think it is. But uh, – very talented, but just there's moments where like, what are you doing? A lot of them, yeah. It's, Most of them. Yeah. Also, didn't realize he only played 29 games last year. Oh yeah, he was out a lot, and and he was cleared to play for a while and didn't oh. even come back. That's lame. Whatever. But this is the next question I'm very excited about. Yeah, next question: Which rookie was the biggest steal at, at where he was selected in the draft? Number one came Whitmore, which I think is a very easy choice. Uh, he was the was 20th pick. top 10 and slipped to 20th. Yeah. And top 10 was like at, at worst, like he, he was, was like, top might five. be top five. We'll slip to six or seven. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Houston. Yeah. So, uh, Houston got him. He got 43% of the vote. Then there's a three-way tie for second with Keontae George, who is picked 16 to Utah. Then Scoot Henderson, who's picked three to Portland, which is kind of what I guess makes sense. I don't want to call that a steal. He slid to th- three though. And he should have been two. Is what they Any mean. other draft class, he's won. Yeah, for yeah, for the most part. Um, Haney Hawkes was an, the other guy. I tied. liked that one. Him being there. Yeah, so he was the 18th pick to Miami. He got 10 percent of the vote. Then fifth was Brandon Pajimski uh, from Golden State. He was pick 19. He got seven percent of the vote, so he got two votes. Um, and then also receiving votes, there's Imani Bates from uh, who got picked by Cleveland at 49. Leonard Miller. We got picked to the Wolves at 33, Marcus, Sa- Marcus Sasser to the Detroit Pistons at 25, Bryce Sensabaugh at 28 to Utah, Asar Thompson at 5 to Detroit, and Jordan Walsh at 38 to Boston. I hated the Asar Thompson one. I hated that. That was – like what – who do you take him over? His brother, is that it? Or Brandon Miller? Like at 5, I feel like that's I not I feel like be- there's a lot of people who, who ranked him over Brandon Miller, Scoot, and – um, over scoot yeah there's a lot of people i didn't i draft. did not realize that not a I lot not. but like a healthy there was like I, enough it was, that it wasn't like a one weirdo in the corner yeah yeah it was there was a healthy amount of uh draft experts that were like the really in on the thompson twins and like mm-hmm. getting either of them like there's some people putting them at two and three so i like the imani bates one it might not work out but i think just not being the guy and being able to just be like go play basketball yeah. It's going to be good. Yeah. Because, like, I know it's preseason basketball, but, like, clock's winding down, and he just hits a dagger three. Yeah, that's Last that's night, thing. two nights ago. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I get it's a preseason game, but it's still a game that guys want to win. Yeah. Like, it's still, like, the like, that's hard to do. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, it was just, it was, it was nice. Yeah. It was, 
for now, sure. I'm not even a big Imani Bates guy. Like I'm actually like the opposite of that mm-hmm. most of the time in terms of like what he does on a basketball court. Like I'm like I don't really love that type of player. Yeah, and uh, it was ruined the, his career several times in college. How he had to bounce around and then ended up being on a not very good. And it wasn't exclusively his fault. But when you're the best player on a team and your team struggles, you catch a lot of the blame, catch a lot of the flack. With Eastern Michigan, like they just yeah. Won. I mean, he went to a terrible school and was still bad. Yeah. The reason and he had to go there is because he got kicked out of uh, Memphis. Memphis. So it's just, I'm just, if Cleveland can make it work, that'll be great for Cleveland because they got what, what a, like the perfect coming spot. out of high school, like, or the hype around him, he would have been a what? He would have no, been in that top five. Yeah. I mean, he, he I mean, wouldn't have outdone Wemby probably. He was supposed to be in next year's draft. Um, well, no. Yeah, he so he reclassified. He reclassified in high school, uh-huh. but he so he was still going to be in the same draft because he had to spend two years in college. Um, so oh, okay. yeah, he would have been in this draft regardless. But back in when he was in high school, like back when he was a sophomore in high school, he was number one in this class. Yes. Uh, um, he he's the guy. He... He's the guy out of all these guys that I've known his name for a long time. Like yes, at, at least like four years. Around there. So, like, and if he turns into, let's say, 50% of that, getting that at 49th is huge. Mm-hmm. For sure. He's a big, big time shot maker. It's a big what if. It's a what if, but if it works, that's the biggest steal, quote unquote. Yeah. He but, could, he's, he's probably like a, if he works out, what he will be is like a 6, 9, 6, 10 uh, version, maybe 6, 8, somewhere in there, a version of J.R. Smith or Bones yeah. Island. I was going to say baby Kevin Durant without any uh, defense. Or playmaking. or <laughs> any, I guess I don't – yeah. He just is – he's an assassin scorer. He, he is – when he catches the ball, the ball is going up. He's like Jordan Clarkson. You know, it, it, he catches the ball, Jordan the ball Clarkson. is going up. Yeah, he's gotten better. Now Jordan Clarkson is, has to play a different role because he's on the Jazz and he's like the primary ball handler a lot of the he's time. He's accepted it though. I think yeah. he's done – Lakers Jordan Clarkson. And the Jazz Jordan Clarkson just right before they blew up. Pre-headband dreads Jordan Clarkson. No, he had that. It was he just did. I feel it, like that was new last, last year. Like but. last year was the first – yeah, last year was the first season that he's different. Um, and yeah. that's, he's adding playmaking and stuff. He's showing a lot of that stuff to his game because he's in a new role that he's never been in. But, now uh, here's the most controversial question um, is up next. Very difficult, I'm sure, for GMs to pick, figure out the answer on this one. Uh, so the next one is who is the best international player in the NBA? Number one is Nikola Jokic uh, with 80%. Uh, Luka is in second, which is surprising. That at was 10%. Weird. And then Giannis is third at 7%. Uh, Joel uh, is also on here. He got one vote, which is just funny that yeah, Joel is still getting – some guy is just voting for Joel no, there's over a, and over. There's a Grant Williams guy and there's a Joel Embiid guy. Yeah. And a Kyrie Irving guy. And a Clippers guy. There, is a, there is a Clippers guy <laughs> that's not the Clippers GM. Yeah. I wonder if it's uh, uh, Lakers just being a troll. <laughs> Rob Palinka. Palinka. Yeah. I was thinking Ham, but that's not right. He's the head coach. Or that that's what I was go- like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but this, yeah, this question does not make the answer to this question does not make sense to me at all because it, if it's, we're talking the best international player in the NBA, it should look pretty similar to the, the question way earlier on this uh, survey, which was who is the best player in the NBA? And 
Jokic is both of those, and Giannis should be second in both of those, but he's not. He's third. It was yeah because Giannis did better in that one. Yeah, he was second. Uh, also, never mind. I I thought <laughs> I had a thought and then I retract. I I reverse. Yeah, where have we got to that question yet? Yeah, that was earlier. I think I think it was one of the first questions. That was MVP. Or who will MVP? Yeah, but I think there's a question. It's also who's the best player. Oh no, it's it's just who will win the MVP, and then the next one is if you're starting a franchise and could sign any player, who would you sign? And Giannis beat Luca in both of those, but not not in best international player. Yeah, Giannis is an international, you silly goose. Which doesn't really make sense because Luca. Wait, Giannis is international. I'm I'm oh I'm joking. Okay, uh, <laughs> I was very confused for a second. But Luca, uh, it doesn't make sense because it, you think he would fare better in those other questions. Not maybe maybe one. not MVP, but the who who would you sign today? Because younger Luca's younger, and so but yeah. Uh, the other people, um, or the next question, I'm scrolling back down because I was finding the other one. Um, the best in, international player in the NBA, yeah. So I, I think we got everything there. Giannis was the pick last year. Also, I don't know if you saw, but. We don't need to go into it, but uh, ESPN, their top 100, they had Giannis at number one. Um, <laughs> did you it's see that? It's for clicks. It's for clicks. Yeah. It's for clicks. Actually, I'm going to uh, bring it up now. I don't know if I did in the episode. Derek White, been getting a lot of love on the internet by people that know ball recently. Uh, Derek White wasn't a top 100 player in the NBA, according to that same ESPN list. Oh, really? I didn't even yeah, know that. No, he wasn't in the top 100, and that's why J.J. Redick freaked out. Yeah. And was like, he's a top 50 player. Did you did you he, not watch the same playoffs I did? Yeah. And maybe I mean, he was like, if you would say Derek White is in the 50 to 60 range, I would be like, yes. Or 40, whatever. You, he's yeah. in that realm of like an, a good player. Yeah. I mean, I think he's probably not above 50 like like under what closer to one than 50 you know uh in that direction he's not that direction to, for me probably but he's not far like i feel like he's he's closer, closer to, to 50, 50 than, than 100. 100 yeah he's he's in the top 75 i would probably that's would say. a great clip from the old man in the three podcast because it like opens with like uh jj reddick lost his voice i guess and he's like oh uh-huh. i lost my voice i'm not gonna be talking very much and then it cuts to him like screaming you guys pretend to know ball. Derek White's not a top 100 player. Uh, and then he goes like, it's just clickbait. It's just to get clicks. And having Jokic not be the best player in the end. That would be like after Giannis like, in 21. 50 on the Suns. Yeah. Right after the next day, be like, I don't think Giannis Antetokounmpo is the best player in the NBA. It's still LeBron. It's still LeBron. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to think who would, who would have been second in 2021. Uh, Probably, uh, it might yeah. have been, it might have been Jokic. Jokic no, was cause... close up there. Um, but yeah, Steph, probably Steph, honestly. But it just would be like that level of delusion is what they just did. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Jokic was two at least. I didn't say at least. I said he was up there. No, but there. Jokic was two, right? Like on their ESPN list? Oh, r- yeah, right now. Yeah. Okay. Yes, for this okay, season, I he's two. I just Which I don't think sure. is insane for somebody to do that. It's just ESPN, like, seems like, like, when you're pulling all of ESPN, because that's what they do, right? It's not just one person deciding. It's like ESPN uh, staff voting. Maybe. I don't know. At least that's I'm, how I'm I thought I'm not sure how their top 100 works. But uh, that's interesting to me. If it's like a consensus thing, because I feel like more 
yeah, that's interesting. But um, the next question, who is the best international player not in the NBA? Uh, Nikola Mirotic is number one at 37%. Eddie T- Tavares is number 27. Um, Alex Saar is 30. Or is, did I say he's number 27? He got 27% of the votes. He's at number two. Third option was Alex Saar, 13%. And then Musa, I don't know how to say his first name, but he used to be in the NBA. Uh, he was on the Nets, but he got 10%. And then uh, Billy Hernan Gomez is at fifth with 7%. And then Wancho Hernan Gomez, his brother, also received a vote. And then another guy that I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. Um, uh, very different from last year. Last year's top guy was Wemby. Uh, mm-hmm. This seemed like a lot more like most of the guys in international play that are like good to be in the NBA are still here. Uh, other than Mirotic, they're like, okay, he could probably play back here if he wanted to. But he went back for mental health reasons, I think. He wanted to be back back home. Because he was in the NBA. Yeah, for yeah. The he he, um, wanted, he and, wanted to be home. Like his wife, and he was setting up uh, – he wanted to raise a family back home um, is the reason why. Which is valid which, oh, for, okay. for him. I thought you froze up for a second. Nope. Okay. I just was in pondering and thought. Um, then – but yeah, I, I think both Hernan Gomez is, I mean, they were just on rosters. Yep. Um, so I feel like this list is probably not, I, I, w- I would be interested to see what, if you, if you pulled a bunch of EuroLeague ex- experts, what they would what say, they would say and how different it would be. Cause I don't know if it's like a bias towards like players Guys that, that were in the GMs league. know, you know. NBA GMs know. Well, no, because quite well. if you think you have to like scour over the whole EuroLeague, yeah. you'd get to like, oh, he's pretty good. Mm hmm. Like you wouldn't like want to dig, or like you'd have to like call a scout. Yeah. And if your scout isn't completely versed in Euroleague, that would be a nightmare to do. Yeah. I, this is that's the one question I would not want to answer on this whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. But then there's the next. We have the next in the section. Uh, we are now in the next section of the GM survey, which is defense. Uh. So who is the best defensive player in the NBA? Giannis got the first place vote or first place selection. With 40% of the vote, Drew Holiday is second, um, which is kind of insane, with 13% of the vote. And then tied for third, there's a two-way tie with Draymond Green and Marcus Smart, uh, 10% of the vote. And then tied for fourth is Jaron Jackson Jr. and Kawhi Leonard. Both got two votes. And then also receiving votes is Alex Caruso, Anthony Davis, uh, Lou Dort, and Rudy Gobert. The torture chamber. Yeah. There's a lot more guards on here than I was expecting. Well, I Um, think that's a thing that there's been like a big anti-center, anti-big push. Yeah. And like it started when Marcus Smart won rookie – not rookie, their defensive player of the year. There's been this big like – and guards got not enough credit for good defense. And now I feel like they're being – I don't want to say over-recognized. But it's like they're just trying to make centers like pointless. Which I don't know like if they're I, making pointless. It's just before po- bef- it used to be if you're a center, you have like you have uh, way more value on defense than a guard. If I'm trying to build the greatest defense in the NBA, I start with a center. I start with a Rudy Gobert or an Anthony Davis yeah. or a Giannis. I don't yeah. start at Drew Holiday. Yeah, yeah, he's if, a great piece on defense. Exactly. Like it, I think the easiest way to put it is if you could have. One defensive player, um, like one of with the star defensive players for like just average defenders, league average, um, who would make the most impact? Like 
Rudy Gobert, Jaron Jackson Jr., Giannis, Anthony Davis, Draymond Green. Those guys are probably the answers there. Like they're healthy, a healthy amount higher. We're always talking about offensive floor raider, floor raisers. These are defensive floor raisers where just having them exist brings your defense just up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think Draymond Green's a perfect example because Golden State didn't have a bunch of bad defenders, but that was a very, very good defense with a lot of guys that were like just a, a touch above average outside of him. Yeah, exactly. Like Clay, Clay Thompson has good defense. That's not trying to be now, Clay Slander. Now he's about average, though. Well, maybe now a little bit above. About, but like when they were in that run. Yeah, Clay Thompson were, was a really good defender then. But, um, but like yeah. all of them looked better on defense because Draymond just existed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was um, definitely the soul of that defense, for and sure. And that's like the top, like peak NBA winning championships example. But there's other examples of like uh, the Jazz is an example. In the regular season, the Jazz had a great defense, yeah. but then in the playoff teams would just bully uh, Rudy Gobert, and then yeah, it just they, wouldn't they work would because there was paint. no one else on defense for the Jazz yeah. that could like fill in on the backside. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so like the thing with that, that's. It's something you can do even when it's a center. Uh, but the thing is, like, you would see that happen. It's basically like if Drew Holiday was on your team already. You know what I mean? Because he's already mm-hmm. stretched out and he's not a rim protector. So if it was Drew Holiday instead of Rudy Gobert, it would be the same exact issue. Um, so, but against most teams, especially in the regular season, Gobert isn't exploited like that because it, it takes a very specific matchup like a team to really game plans very specifically to do that in order to pull it off because you need to go five out completely space the floor um, and, you know, pinpoint the attack on that go bear, getting him out of the paint and flanking him. So um, yeah, but I think that was interesting seeing drew holiday at two for that reason. But, and Marcus Smart at three, I think is a little high, even for if, even if we are accepting like, okay, don't give, too much thought to the difference between the guards and the centers. Uh, Mark Smart still feels a little high to me, uh, but just because I feel like he's... I'm going to no comment on that one because I, I struggle to remove my heart. Yeah. I feel like, his, sit, like yeah. His, his defensive player of the year year was like not, not even his best season defensively. It and, just was the best defense he was a part of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I've said this. He wasn't the best defensive player on the Celtics that year. I agree. Yeah. It was like you could he argue might have been like he was third, third or fourth, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, behind Jason Tatum and Rob and Rob Williams, and honestly, in situations, he was behind Al Horford, yeah, because Al Horford would just be like, or even Grant Williams at times. Honestly, Grant Williams is really underrated. That's true. Like that season, actually, specifically before mm-hmm. we got like the whole "I'm going to make them both" and yeah. "I'm PJ I mean, Tucker too." He's still one of the mo- more versatile players in the NBA. Like, it, it, like defensively, he, yeah. Because he's not, he doesn't do it with, with length like other people do, like Tatum. Like he's because he's built like a brick house. Yeah, he's just so this... he, he can defend the post like scores, the scoring threats in the post. He can match up with them, and then he can also defend wings, which is like one of the valid. greatest moments I've ever seen is when Joel Embiid was backing down Grant Williams, mm-hmm. and then like Grant Williams like locked his feet, and Joel Embiid just like did the backup, but Grant Williams didn't move. Yeah, I'm and sure. It was just Joel it was fell this down. weird. Or did he not? I don't remember. I just remember it was just this like awkward moment of like that like power dribble to back into people. Yeah. And then there was no movement. It looked like someone like uh-huh. a 2K glitch. Yeah. It was it was pretty funny. Yeah. Um but yeah I, I think Joel probably leads the league in falls per game. I think Anthony Davis might be second. But uh 
they should honestly track that. That would <laughs> pretty, be good. Pretty likely he, he would have fallen there trying to get a call. Uh, then on to the next one, which is who is the best perimeter defender. So kind of goes with what we're talking about, which is interesting because now Macau Bridges isn't here, which he didn't get any votes in the other one. Uh, but he's number two on here with 13% of the vote. Number one, Drew Holiday with 50% of the vote. Number three, Alex Crusoe, which I think is very good spot for him. Uh, either one or two or two or three for me for Alex Crusoe, honestly. And then Marcus Smart tied for third with Alex Crusoe with 10%. And then five, the fifth place spot is Kawhi Leonard, which is kind of interesting that people are still giving him credit here where like we haven't seen him play in a while even. We've and only then, seen him do it in two games at the, in the playoffs. And even then, he's like, for a while just, now, he he doesn't guard the best player on the other team. They they put him on like one of the like the corner three shooters or something, you know, so he can play offense. offense. Uh, so it's just we haven't seen Kawhi Leonard be like a lockdown defensive player in a while. Uh, since he was in San Antonio, probably. I would say since one of those Maverick series where they could not stop Luca at all. So they finally were like, Kawhi, you're guarding Luca. Sorry. You have to deal with it. Yeah. I, one thing I did like from this whole one is the also receiving votes. Jason Tatum got a vote and that made me happy because his defense gets just forgot about a lot. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Jimmy also got a vote, which I think is good. Lou Dort. Yeah. Lou Dort. Mm -hmm. So pretty good. Uh, Pretty good list there. And then, Who's the best interior defender? Jaron Jack Jr. Wow, I'm surprised by that. He's number one. Um, I think Anthony Davis is really underrated on both these lists. Also, how is Giannis the best in the league? But then, <laughs> well, this was a thing that I like. Si like, but wait, like, uh, sorry, I, I, we should give context. He's sixth. True. He's sixth on the best interior defender with two votes. When he got uh, what was it 40 percent of the votes for the best defense player in the in the league at the first place spot. So I think that it's also the same reason Marcus Smart is like 10% of the best perimeter, even though he was best defensive player, is like Giannis does more than just interior defense. Yeah. And like what the rest of the guys on this list are outside of AD are just and like... Draymond. And Draymond. And, and Draymond. But, but, those but like, that's the bottom half of the list. But like the top is like Jaron Jackson Jr., I am inside the restricted zone defender. Yeah. And Rudy Gobert is same thing. Even Brooke more Lopez, so. Brooke Lopez is where you get the like most. Does, <laughs> the most, but also does okay. Like he's gotten better at like when you get him out there, like the pick and roll defense. He yeah, like drops I mean, he, better. He, he drops. He drops like Gobert. Like so, Go Gobert has to uh, do more defensively than Lopez. Lopez has been like he's excelled in the most specific role. He's really good because at that's because he has Giannis has the guy running around doing the rest of it. Yeah, but he he here it is the worst in terms of transporting him to defend on the perimeter. Gobert is probably the next guy there, and Gobert's not really even that bad on the perimeter. And then uh, Jaron Jackson's probably third on the list looking third. at it. Mm -hmm. So it just seems like it was just a hyper-focus on, like, the restricted zone. Yeah. Like, who's the best defender right there, five yeah. foot from the rim? And in theory, I think Jaron Jackson Jr. could be pretty switchable, uh, but they that's just not how... It has uh, not been in practice yeah, yet. They, they just Their scheme is they haven't been dropped basically all the time, so... And it's worked pretty well. So I think they'll probably continue with that. Um, but yeah, the other guys receiving votes, though, I, I think we didn't really – I mean, Gobert's at second, tied with Brooke Lopez. Uh, the next one, there's Anthony Davis and Draymond Green tied at fourth. And then Giannis is sixth. Seventh is Evan Mobley with one vote. 
Um, so pretty good list there. And then who is the most versatile defender in the NBA? Giannis Antetokounmpo gets the first place vote here, or first place selection here with uh, 37% of the votes. Draymond, 23%. Bam, 13%. And then Mikel Bridges and Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, both got 7%. And then other guys receiving votes, Dylan Brooks, which is an interesting one. Paul George, Aaron Gordon, and Marcus Smart. Okay, the fact that Jaron Jackson Jr., in theory, we just said it. In theory, yes. In practice, no. Marcus Smart is like the the guy that should not be above Giannis, should not be above Draymond, should not be above Bam, and probably in the same ballpark as McCall Bridges, I think. Yeah, yeah that's fair. Because like there was times where I watched this man be like, switch on a Joel Embiid, and Embiid wouldn't score. Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah, and no. I just I watched a lot. Like it's not just Embiid; he would do that too. There'd yeah. be times where like he would just do it to anybody. Yeah, and not for whole games, for whole stretches. But like versatility is like in the moment, switch, get this done now. There's not a whole lot of people that I would feel comfortable doing that all for his size. He's got to be the most switchable, pound for pound, most versatile defender. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So him and Dylan Brooks getting the same amount of votes disgusts me. Just, just. Yeah. Gross. I mean, Dylan Brooks I, uh, is obviously very versatile, but like I would think he would be uh, he would be favored more in the perimeter defense category than switching because like Dylan Brooks guarding a post up is like It's ugly. It's not It's not ugly, but it's not like anything crazy. You know what I mean? You're not comfortable with it happening. You don't yeah. like you don't like game plan like, "Oh, this will be in we're compar- fine with this." In comparison to these other guys. Definitely. Yes. Not. Yeah. This is not like Steph Curry getting switched on. Yeah. Not saying it's like that level of unfortunate for your defensive scheme. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. this was one that was like tough because I think Aaron Gordon's another one where it's like just because he's not like only a defense guy now, like he stepped up his defense in Denver a lot. And yeah. we've talked about the Nuggets a ton, but that's like the biggest thing that he brought to them wasn't like, oh, he's another person for Jokic because Jokic is a – offensive floor raiser role players just look better offensively with him and even a little bit defensively but yeah. Aaron Gordon like locked in on the defensive side and has done a lot for them same way MPJ did honestly all of the nuggets outside of Jamal Murray like acknowledged like I'm here to play good defense and I mean, Jokic J- Jamal, make my offense easy Jamal I Her. would give him some credit there too uh he was he was pretty gassed in, in the Lakers series but uh, right before we saw Jamal get injured like the torn ACL he was a pretty solid defensive player. Um, he wasn't a liability like yeah. he was early in his mm-hmm. career. Yeah, I would say he was not even I, early. He, when uh, the Nuggets struggled, he was a liability. No, for sure. Yeah, early on in his career, he was both him and Jokic were pretty bad defensively. Yeah, the other thing was Paul George getting a vote, but uh, it feel, feels like a couple of years ago, maybe. But feels now like it's a Kawhi a little, vote. Like it's the same yeah. exact logic as the Kawhi vote. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I like Aaron Gordon getting a, a vote here, though. Um, honestly, it might have been the Suns. It might have been James Jones because <laughs> he witnessed uh, him guarding Kevin Durant that series. So, Witness greatness. Yeah. Next uh, next question, though, is which is the best defensive team in the NBA? Boston Celtics gets that uh, title with 47% of the vote. Grizzlies Wait. at two? What in the world? I, I don't get it. Jaron Jackson Jr. and Marcus Smart. I, Desmond Bain. I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, it's good. It's just a little surprising. I mean, and Stephen Adams coming back. I think Boston should have won this harder. I might be, I'm not might be, I'm very clearly biased. 
But Boston can trot out a team that has the potential to get votes for all like defense in all five starting spots. Yeah. No other team could do that. Yeah, that's true. Um, like, this Drew is... Holiday has a chance to be in all NBA defense. Derek White has a chance to be it. Mm-hmm. Jalen Brown, if he can, like, widen his eyes and get out of the tunnel vision, has a chance. He's a good defender. Jason Tatum, weirdly enough, center is our worst defensive spot in terms of, like, on the scale of the NBA. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just because – And I think and he's a really solid defensive center, though. KP? Oh, I thought you were talking Al about Horford. Al Horford. Yeah. Yeah, well, Al Horford is – yes. He's, he's old, but he's he's still very solid. I watched him do it last year. Just mm-hmm. cook. Um, but, like, and then, like, KP, if he doesn't have to worry about offense as much, maybe he turns into a – I mean, last year he was a great defensive player, and he was <laughs> in New York as well. So, I mean, he, he's one of the best rim protectors in the league, and he's – Just because of his physical assets. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's huge. So – so um, I'm more mad that the Celtics didn't win this by like 80% and then everyone else shared the scraps. Honestly, I don't I just don't really like the guys that or the teams that got the rest of the votes other than the Lakers got one vote and I think they should be way higher on here. I think they should probably be two. To be honest. Like Memphis has pieces, but I didn't get that one either. Uh the one that Bucks, made me I kind of I get the Bucks not being as high just because Drew is gone. He's gone and that was a huge part of their front half. Yeah. Um Hamilton's hasn't been very good recently. But like the Cavs, Jarrett Allen and Evan, Evan Mobley is enough to get you fifth? I think so. I don't hate that one. I don't think they should be higher, but I Yeah. I, I mean they, higher than the higher than the Lakers? No, yeah, I I think Lakers uh, should be two. I you said that. I was yeah. more saying that. But like the, okay, this is the thing also. Last year the Celtics got this with uh just about two thirds of the league, sixty nine percent. Yeah, that's that. So wow. You went from that doesn't this, make any sense. Last honestly. year, Celtics should to have been, this year and felt like they got worse. That last year it should have been like a tie. Unless this survey went up before the Drew thing, that might. Well, no, then they would still have Robert Williams. The survey went out uh, after the Drew thing. It says it was, that okay. at the top. was it media days? Oh, it did. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that. It should be yeah. It should be the Lakers at two. I get Cleveland at five. I think Cleveland has the best defensive front court in the NBA, um, with Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. But so, then, then it's Darius Garland, uh, yeah. Donovan Mitchell, and their mm-hmm. three would be Isaac Okoro would be make it a good defensive and, and lineup. That, yeah. But uh, Max Struess is okay defensively. Um, so I just I mean, don't know how the Celtics, in terms of comparison to the NBA, became a worse defensive team this year as opposed to last year. I don't get that. Maybe it's like a Joe Missoula factor, being like he's not an Ime scheme defensively. Yeah. Maybe. I, I don't know. And this might be betting on – like they might be interpreting this question as as guessing who's going to have the best defensive rating this year. You know? Because Memphis, yeah. Memphis, I believe, had that last year, I want to say. Um, and – Cleveland was a very high. Cleveland was like three, I think. They were they were in the top, whatever. Um, the Cavs were the best last year. Then oh, they're Grizzlies, number one. Then Celtics. Okay. One ten point six, one eleven point two, and then one eleven point five for the Celtics. Uh, Bucks, 
Bulls, Pelicans, Suns, Sixers rounded out the top seven. Yeah. I don't know why I picked seven, but it was all close. Like one, one eleven point nine was the Bucks. So mm-hmm. we, it was all within point or one even between the Cavs and the Bucks. Yeah. In the playoffs, when we saw the Lakers, they were clearly, I think, the best defensive team in the in the playoffs this year. Um, so that's what I'm basing that on, like having them having a new team and AD saying he's going to play all 82 this year. Um, feels like they should probably be higher than seventh or whatever. In the whatever playoffs, the Lakers were the fourth best defense. Yeah, but play for it's rate, hard because of who you play. Against. Yeah, yeah, the playoffs defensive rating doesn't mean a lot, but. Uh, I think watching the games, it was pretty clear that the, the Lakers were the hardest team to to really to score on. You know, they were like the the team that was doing the most defensively. Uh, they played some really good teams. Obviously, they played the Nuggets, the who I don't know if we had the best offensive rating, but we were the best offense for sure in the playoffs. Um, so. That yeah, the Nuggets hurt. had the best offensive rating at one nineteen five. Yeah. So Celtics that just second one seventeen two. So that just by the math of it, them playing the Nuggets for four games is going to absolutely tank their defensive rating. Yep. So um, then looking at the coaches, so who's the best head coach in the NBA? Eric Spolstra is number one. Tyron Lue is number two. And I should mention the percentages. Spolstra is seventy three percent. Lue with ten percent. Steve Kerr with seven percent. Uh, Greg Popovich tied with him. And then Michael Malone got a vote at fifth, uh, which is not bad, honestly. I, I kind of like that nod to him after the, getting the championship. Popovich doesn't deserve votes. It's the same thing as Belichick Brady, and you can't change my mind. Uh, I mean, nobody's really criticizing Popovich as a coach recently. Like, people are criticizing Belichick, right? Isn't yes. Belichick kind of like people are like, he's doing a bad job right now? No, well, that's because Boston people are stupid. Oh. But yes, okay. He's doing a bad job because he po- hired poor assistants is the biggest thing. Like his offensive coordinator was a defensive coordinator last year, and I'm not making that up. That seems fake, but that's legitimately what it was. He say that again. Last year's offensive coordinator for the New England Patriots is a defensive coordinator. Like traditionally, de- has been a defensive coordinator every other step of his time in the huh. coaching realm of the NFL. But they just made him an offensive coordinator this yeah, past I'm year. I'm guessing that doesn't happen very often. No, no, I don't even know if it ever has. It didn't work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, uh, I, I just think that this should be Eric Spolstra, 97%, and then 1% to three. Michael Malone because that oh. should beat the, the Heat. Just throwing like the yeah. – because uh, Pat Riley can't vote for himself. Oh, true. Yeah. I would go maybe Tyron Lue or – I wouldn't mind a Nick Nurse vote. Um, but yeah. I'll, of, I'll continue my crusade. Steve Kerr shouldn't be up here. I agree with that. But there, Steve Kerr is not pro- – if Steve Kerr won't stick around until after Steph's gone, there will be hands holding into the sunset together. But I'm just – is he great? Is he great at a lot of the aspects of coaching? Absolutely. And maybe I'm looking at this too much as an X and O's like – whole package thing because like managing all the personalities that Kerr's had to manage at Golden State is not an easy task yeah and he's very good X's and O's wise too it's just he's he has a similar problem to Bud with the he like, just has had steps to kind of like yeah he never steers away from the Warriors very specific system um 
And there's, they're still running the death lineup, and there's no Kevin Durant, and Clay Thompson's old. Yeah, and just mainly like the way the ball moves is like very equal opportunity. So like mm-hmm. you're getting a lot of probably a lot more Kevon Looney uh, elbow touches and and mid range shot, shots than, than you probably should. Uh, but that's just by like de- by like the nature of the system, um, and that's what he's never veered away from. Which I I can respect from like a philosophy standpoint, but like it's it's a similar issue to the Budenholzer thing. But I think that Kerr his his offensive system is much more like purified and like uh, refined. You know that more that more so than Bud's like very simple like go through the the different columns of stats. And it's like, what is the best thing to do in this situation? And then, you know, and just do those things. Kerr is more, it's more of a theoretical thing, which I think is very impressive and admirable that he was able to unlock that and create that the way that he did. Cause he definitely did. He innovated in that department for sure. Uh, but he definitely, he does have some uh, things that he sticks to that he probably shouldn't at times. Um, yeah. And that brings us to the next question, which is, I think, more interesting than the previous one. Which head coach is the best manager and motivator of people? Eric Spolstra won this one as well, uh, which I don't hate, but it feels like that's not who you think of really right away for that. No, you think of Steve Kerr. Or Greg Popovich. Or Greg Popovich. Or um, um, I personally think Joe Mazzula. Give the man some love. Uh, Tom the Thibodeau. The greatest quote in the – Tom – yeah, that's probably actually uh, – Greatest quote. I don't remember the exact thing. Uh, maybe I should. Anyway, he goes like it was like a question about the royal family, and he goes, "Jesus, Mary, and Joseph." <laughs> Joseph yeah, that's the only royal family I care about. Yeah, that was funny. Um, but yeah, the reason why I found this question interesting is because yeah, Spolstra is number one, Steve Kerr is number two, Tyron Lue is number three, Popovich is number four, and then the there's a few guys receiving votes, uh, one each, with Mark Dagnalt, and then Jamal Mosley. And Monty Williams. So I don't hate like anything. Here. I think Monty Williams makes sense here. I think Greg Popovich makes sense here. Tyron Lue, maybe. Uh, Steve I Kerr. think Monty Williams has done the opposite, though. Only with DeAndre Ayton. Certain players. Like Mon- Monty is pretty. I, that's like the one thing I've definitely heard from a lot of players who have played from him is like that he's he's a motive. He's like a pastor, basically. Okay. You know what I mean? Like that's how he kind of talks. With- but didn't him and Chris Paul have like a weird disagreement? And obviously they got it figured out and they were fine. But I Recently? thought that they like – no, like like old – Hornets? Yeah. I, I thought like they They, they might mesh. have been, but Chris Paul fights with every coach because whenever Chris he's Paul Chris disagrees Paul. with a coach, he thinks he's right. <laughs> that's <laughs> Which I'm not Chris- saying is a bad – because he might be. He's Chris Paul, you know. Uh, but he feels very strongly about things. Which I think Chris Paul will come up in another question because they asked about what coach will be or what player will be a good coach. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that, that, that one's an interesting question that I think that we'll have a lot of conversation about. But this one first, Mark Dignall, I think is very interesting to be here because uh, we need to, to do this. We really need to jump ahead to the next one, which is which head coach makes the best in game adjustments. I think it makes way more sense to have Dignall here. Oh, yeah. Dagnalt here or in the best head, head coach category versus the best manager and motivator of people. It, it feels like that's like the thing that Dagnalt well, is not like. Well, and this is also hard because like this is also a lot of like behind the behind the door that we yeah, don't see. Yeah, we don't see it. like. Go ahead. Maybe Eric Spolster is just like the greatest rah-rah guy in the locker room you've ever seen. Like 
maybe his speeches would make you want want to run through a brick wall. Yeah, I mean, it's just looking based off of how he talks normally. It's, it's kind of like the Brad Stevens. Brad Stevens is worse in this yes. area, but like it, him and Mark Dignall are similar to Brad Stevens in that way, where like they're just kind of even keeled, nerdy, not like super fiery. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And usually those types of guys are just they're not as passionate or like uh, inspiring with with uh, their their speeches. But uh, sorry. You were, you were... I've wanted to bring this up because Kevin Durant said this is it on a tweet. Uh, Nebraska head coach Matt Rule, ahead of our first home game, was like giving this like pregame speech. He goes, if we die, we die. And it was like the greatest speech I've ever heard. Okay. And then Kevin Durant quote tweeted it and was like, this is it. <laughs> Interesting. So there's our basketball connection, but shout out to Nebraska football, Matt Rule. Huh. That was we're recently? Big Ten West. Oh, yeah, this was past week. We we we've not had a home game yet. No, no, this was okay. Our home game was like a month ago, but like the video was released. Like oh, in the past week. gotcha. That makes sense. Okay, well, yeah. So, but the people who got the best uh, in game uh, in game adjustments, uh, Eric Spolstra won this one as well. So he won all three categories. Uh, Tyron Liu got second, which I think he got second on all of them except for the motivator. He got third. He was third. Um, and then Rick Carlisle, which I think is a really good spot here, uh, at third. And then Nick Nurse is tied with him at third. And then also receiving votes, Mark Dignall, which, oh, he is in here. Okay. So that makes sense. For some reason, I thought that he was he was only in the manager, manager and motivator people, not in the other one. But uh, Steve Kerr is also here, which is not really good for – yeah, that doesn't, doesn't make, make a sense. whole lot of sense. Popovich makes sense. Uh, Quinn Snyder makes some sense. Um, he's a, he's a bit of a Budenholzer disciple, not near as bad though. So I, I think he probably does have a little bit more variation, but, uh, yeah, Nick Nurse, Rick Carlisle, Tyron Liu, I think, and Eric Spolstra, all, all four of those guys, I think are easily the top four, I would say in this, uh, category. Um, oh, there's more. Okay. Yeah. Which head coach runs the best offense? Mike Brown got the first uh, place vote. Steve Kerr got second. I think those are the right answers there. Mike. No, because I think those are the most – you don't need a piece to make the offense work as crazy. Steve Kerr – like Mike Brown's offense I think would work with a lot more levels of like players. Over Steve Kerr, you're saying? Over Steve Kerr and then over third place because like everyone would think, oh, Denver's the best offense in the NBA. But like – you need Jokic for that offense to work. Yeah, but Sacramento, it's not necess- Sacramento needs Sabonis, and they need Herder and Monk, like the shooters, I, I I would say. But there's more of those style of guys than there is Jokic. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, in, those, in a similar way that Jokic is so singular, I'd say Sabonis is pretty close to being pretty singular, too. Like, he's, he's like, just – he's much lower in that department than Jokic, but there's not – like he's a pretty, there's a pretty big gap from second place, which is where Sabonis is at, to whoever's to in third, third, which is maybe Shangun, honestly. Yeah, baby, baby Jokic, um, or Bam, maybe, but he doesn't, no. he doesn't really play it in the same way. Um, Shangun for sure. So, but yeah, I, I, I think that Sabonis is a big, probably the biggest single piece of why that Sacramento office uh, offense runs and works the way it does. Um, and then Fox is kind of like the Jamal Murray equivalent uh, playing off of that. And then uh, – because like the way I would describe it best is Sacramento is like a blend of the Golden State and Denver offense where it's – like Denver, it's built around a, a hub 
and a two-man game with Sabonis and Sabonis and Fox. And then uh, working off of that, they have movement shooters. So there's a constant motion around the perimeter, handoff games and stuff like that with their shooters, which is Kevin Herter and Malik Monk and a little bit of Keegan Murray. Um, so, yeah, that like it's a very good system, a lot of movement, a lot of motion, um, and a lot of playmaking. So um, makes sense, though, for that to be the top three. Michael Malone, I, don't, I wouldn't say that he's not – that he's like a huge part of why the offense is the way it is. Chris Finch was definitely the guy who implemented our current offense while he was the assistant in Denver. And now we have uh, David Alleman as our offensive coordinator. And I think he has a lot more of the offensive uh, scheming responsibilities more so than most assistant coaches around the league. Honestly, I think Michael Malone, Malone just lets the guy that knows the offense better do it. And Malone is very like self-proclaimed or self-admittedly like a defensive guy, like yeah. basically all the way. Uh, so he handled, I mean, we have uh, Ryan Saunders technically is our defensive coordinator, but uh, Michael Malone is essentially that. So, um, and I think that like shows even more than him just like openly admitting it, like young guys that he like has struggles to give like playing time to mm-hmm. are offensive guys. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then when they figure out defense, like Michael Porter Jr. did, mm-hmm. they play more. Yeah. Like it's wild. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Chris Finch. Fourth, the guy just mentioned uh, his innovation on the offensive end. He's uh, the coach in Minnesota right now. He got fourth. Uh, Rick Carlisle got fifth, um, which I think is pretty deserving. And then Nick Nurse is interesting here. I feel like he's should be much higher in the uh, defensive category, which where he also only got one vote, um, which is kind of insane to me. But uh, then Quinn Snyder, which I think makes a lot of sense uh, for offense. And then... For defense, we have Eric Spolstra, first place. Taylor Jenkins is in second place, which is pretty good. Uh, Tom Thibodeau makes a lot of sense at tied, tied with second place. And then J.B. Bickerstaff is at fourth, um, which I, I would argue it's uh, his his uh, st- like stock as a defensive coach is more based on his personnel for the most part. Yep. But uh, not bad either. Tyron Lue makes some sense at fourth. Frank Vogel is not a bad pick at fourth. Um, and then on, other than that, we have Mike Brown, which it's interesting because Mike Brown, all of his other stops as head coach in his career has been a defense guy. He's been known as a defense guy. This is the first time that he's just, he has like the best offense in the league randomly. Um, (laughs) not just because of the personnel, but because of a very unique, the system itself that he obviously, uh, took some time to refine while he was an assistant coach. Yeah. Uh, with, with golden state was a big piece of that. Uh, so, cause that's where he spent the past like five. It's just like golden years. state. If you don't have a Steph Curry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, like they just adapted like, Oh, we don't have a Steph. Let's run this. And we have a, um, we have a Jokic impersonator. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And Mike Brown, for those who don't know, was the head, the assistant coach with the warriors for like four or five years. So he, he learned a he lot was of around for a while. Yeah. Firsthand. And then I don't know if I said Mark Dignall, there's also in here, Joe Missoula. Um, which I don't love. Yeah, I don't love but. either. And then Nick Nurse, which I think should be way higher than only getting one vote. I don't know. I would put Ime here instead of Joe Missoula. Oh, yeah. Joe Missoula is still using the Ime defense. Yeah, for sure. And then which new or relocated coach, uh, head coach, will make the biggest impact on his new team? Ime Yudoka, number one, with 50, 57%. Monty Williams at two, 17%. Frank Vogel at three with 
uh, tied for fourth place, we have the two rookie head coaches with Adrian Griffin in Milwaukee and Darko Ryakovich in Toronto, both receiving two votes each. So uh, I think I agree with the order here for the most part, other than I think the two new guys should be probably above Vogel because like what I don't really see like Vogel's going to do the same thing he did in LA and just yeah. manage. It's Vogel's not really talent. It's not really like an imp- I don't think you're going to see an improvement in terms of coaching for going from Monty Williams to, to Vogel. Like it's not going to get that much worse probably, but it won't be this giant leap of yeah. improvement. Mm-hmm. Udoka yeah. is going to change things. Monty Williams is probably going to change some things. I think Dwayne Casey has been a decent head coach there, but Monty Williams is, it's, Probably going to be something a little bit different. And Dwayne Casey pulled a Brad Stevens, didn't he, and moved into the front office? Or is he yeah. gone? No, Dwayne okay. Casey is the, moved into the front office role um, and hired on Monty Williams and gave him all the money in the world. So, uh, yeah. And then the next one, who's the best assistant coach in the NBA? Jordy Fernandez, who is a former uh, Denver Nuggets assistant um, uh, until just last season, I believe, or maybe two years ago. But he's with Sacramento. He got 31%. Terry Stotts in Milwaukee got 10%. A guy that could be a head coach. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Again, he was, obviously. but Yeah. And then uh, Kevin Young at 10% and tied with, with second place. And then Sam Cassell tied at fourth with Charles Lee, both in Boston. Um, which is pretty interesting that Sam Cassell's in Boston now. I didn't even know that. Yep. Um, and Offense. David Adelman's not even here. Oh, uh, he's, oh, he's in receiving also receiving votes. votes. I was kidding. Because uh, like, he was in, as, uh, along with a couple other guys, like Kevin Young and Charles Lee, he, they were both getting the uh, most buzz as potential getting a head, head coaching job this summer. Um, that was a kind of a scare among Denver fans that, that we might lose David Adelman, but we did not. So Kenny Atkinson also got a vote. Chris DeMarco, uh, Darren Ehrman, Dave Fisdale, which I didn't really realize is on with Phoenix now. Royal Ivy, who I don't know who that is, but Alex Jensen, Chris Quinn, Jay Toronto, and Will Weaver. Uh, and then the next category we have is which active player will make the best head coach one day. Uh, Chris Paul is first place in that with 20%. Mike Conley, second, uh, 13%. Garrett Temple tied with him. TJ McConnell right after that. Drew Holiday, Fred Van Vliet. And other guys, we have Jose Alvarado, Desmond Bain, Jalen Brunson, Tyrese Halliburton, Nikola Jokic, uh, Tyus Jones, Patty Mills, Monte Morris, and Grant Williams. I thought it was weird that LeBron didn't get a vote. Yeah, I'm just, I was just thinking about that same thing, skimming through. But uh, yeah, it's interesting that Chris Paul gets first. I, like, it's just, it, I don't, I honestly feel like Chris Paul won't be a good head coach. Honestly, like I, I think it's the same mistake that we often make with people that they're like so uh, high IQ Steve basketball Nash. players. Yes, like Steve Nash, like LeBron, um, Jason Kidd, another one. Like we think we're like that guy. He knows the game so well. There's no way he wouldn't be a good coach. Um, I think Jokic is probably in this category as well. Um, the, the reason why I think it's hard is because with the, somebody that's that talented, like that, like naturally. Um, intuitive with the game 
it's hard for them to like really relay or like connect and break down. This is what you do. Like this is when you see this, you do this. Yeah. And they expect guys to just know that because it's the no duh. Yeah. That's what you do on a basketball court. It, yeah. And not everybody's brain works like Steve Nash or Chris Paul, two of the greatest point guards of all time. Yeah. I think it, it would be a lot of frustration with like, how don't you see this? You know, like it's like to them, it's like, this is uh, something that just comes naturally and they don't know how to teach it. You know, that's often the case. You need to be a good head coach. You need to be able to uh, like, you need to be able to see things from the player's point of views. You need to be able to like be a guy who knows a lot about the game, but also knows how to, to learn more about the game and how to make yourself more of a high IQ basketball player than just being naturally gifted with it. I think Tyron Lue is a perfect example of yeah. that. And mm-hmm. that's what, like, I mean, he was just a player and a respectable role player yeah. is probably like what, I don't want to say his peak was, but that's in a sense, in essence, what the majority of his career was, was just being a, a role player on some good teams. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he turned out to be one of the like better coaches in the NBA of, of this kind of phase of the NBA. For sure. Uh some of the names I liked on there was Jalen Brunson because I feel like he's a guy that's like does obviously have a basketball IQ, but it's not like what makes him great necessarily. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like he's obviously smart and understands a lot of things. Almost every guy in the NBA has some level of that. Yeah. One I didn't get at absolutely all, Monte Morris. Oh, really? I, I, I didn't Am I mixing mind it. people up? Which I must who, be mixing. Who are you up. thinking of? Is he a Kansas twin? Oh no! Or is he Iowa State? No, that's Marquise. Iowa State. Yeah, he's Iowa State. So Iowa State point guard. Okay. Markeith and Marcus are the okay, twins. That's my fault. Yeah, Mon- Monte is the old. I retract. Denver Nuggets. Iowa State point guard. Cyclone um, legend Monte Morris and led the league in assist to turnover ratio. He was uh, the count of Monte Assisto. Remember the count of Monte yeah. Assisto. I do remember. Yeah, um, I think Tyrese Halliburton wouldn't be a bad coach. Uh, even though like I think he's very naturally gifted with basketball IQ, just the way I, I've heard him, t- he's very well articulated and can break things down like way better than most NBA players that you listen to in interviews. Same thing with Jalen Brunson. Is that that's not the word? I did not think of the word, but the way he articulates basketball isn't just like mm-hmm. I just saw it. it yeah. was it's very like, and other guys can, but they just don't because they just saw it. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, that's a very good word for it. They articulate well. That's what makes a great former player, good coach, is if they can articulate their basketball IQ well. Mm-hmm. It could be the biggest IQ in the world and it doesn't matter. Yeah. But if you can articulate it, that's that's what makes it work because you can, can like convey that to players and increase theirs. Yeah, so the guys I really liked here, I think Mike Conley and TJ McConnell were two of my favorite picks here. Everybody else is just kind of like, I don't know. You know, it's mm-hmm. hard to tell. But I think my, Mike Conley and TJ McConnell, I feel like are both pretty safe bets at they would be pretty good coaches. They'll get a chance. Yeah. Um, and then the next thing we have is which team is the most fun to watch? Denver Nuggets got that, which I that's probably the, the thing I'm happiest about here is that they won that category. Uh, With a bunch of guys that pay attention to basketball. Yeah. So they got 30%. Golden State Warriors at two with 23. Uh, Kings at three with 20%. And then the Suns, which is very odd. Um, I didn't like that at all. At fourth with 7%. The Thunder and the Suns should swap, and I would have been content with this list. Yeah. Uh, other guys, other teams receiving votes. We got Celtics, the Pacers, which I love that pick right there. Uh, the Lakers, the Bucks, and the Pelicans and the Thunder. So, yeah. And then which team has the best home court advantage is kind of a no-brainer. But uh, the Nuggets with 37, 37%. 
I think the Warriors Everybody got on in that mountain range, and then the Pacific. yeah. So the Nuggets and the and the Jazz, but because uh, they're yeah they're the only two teams. Because I, I I guess like even when both those teams were bad, they were still good at home. Yeah, like they would always win their home games. Yeah, and that was if you look at like the historically who has the best uh, home to away record percentage. Denver is first. I I don't know if Jazz are second, but they're up. But there. Jazz are definitely up there. Yeah. Right? Uh, the Jazz are not near as high elevation as Denver, obviously, because Denver's like one of the highest big cities in the it's world. It's high. Yeah, but uh, uh, it's it's definitely up there. Um, and then Golden State, I think, honestly, they got on here just because of how bad they were on the road last year. That's like, oh, they're way better on... <laughs> oh, they've been good on at home for a while. Yeah, it's not that they're, they should not be anywhere close to this list, but it's just like... Uh, they're a really good team that has just, for some reason, played really bad on the road recently. You know. Yep. Um. So, Knicks makes sense with the uh, MSG. Um. Raptors is an interesting one. That's probably just the because Raptors it's was the only curveball I saw. I think it it makes sense though. I feel, I feel like I've heard people talk about that. It's just like a, a different, uh, like kind of like having to go through the stress of playing in Toronto is is kind of a mess because you have to deal oh, with like a customs lot of, and stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and so you're, it was, you're lesser prepare, prepared. But for like, it was pretty much just the mountain places. Sacramento is always hard to play at home. Light the beam. Mm-hmm. Not that was just last year, but um, the Warriors. And then like the historic, yeah, places. Yeah, uh, I was shocked that the Lakers didn't have one vote at all. Like no one went Lakers at all. Yeah. Um, and also another interesting thing is coming out of the COVID year last year, the Raptors got the biggest nod. Last year's for their uh, home court last year, the Raptors went with 21%. Oh, wow. And that's coming out of all the crazy COVID stuff. And that had to have been a huge part coming of Coming out, like, meaning this was the it, that last year was the first season that they weren't. Yeah, that it was more closer to normal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, gotcha. And I feel like with Canada's difference, Canada was different than the U.S. and that had to have played a part in oh, it. Oh, for sure, for with sure. the COVID stuff. Because, I mean, yeah, they, Kyrie wasn't even allowed to play. There's people who weren't, uh, like Brad the Beal, anybody that wasn't, uh, vaccinated, Matisse Leibel is another player. They were not even allowed to go into Canada. They couldn't go with the team. Go and play. Yeah. Um, so, which team will have the highest or the league's most efficient offense this season? Denver Nuggets, first with 34%. Kings in second. Warriors, third. Boston in fourth. And then a tie for fifth place with the Suns and Bucks. Uh, Mavericks and Heat also got votes. Um, I, I don't think there's much to break down there. Uh, nope. And Makes then, a whole lot of sense. Yeah, and then which team's level of success this season is the toughest to predict. I think this one makes a lot of sense uh, with Philly at number one. I heard a joke, though, from somebody recently on about this topic uh, that they were like, um, I think it's pretty easy to predict. Uh, I'd say second round exit <laughs> just because that's been the same result in the past several seasons now. Um, so feels it's like the entire career. Yeah, it feels like they probably won't. Uh, uh, pass that, surpass that, uh, get into the Eastern Just Conference Just with the finals. top end of the East, it would be rough. Yeah, but who knows? They might even be worse than that, though. They could not even make it to the second round. Uh, uh, Mavericks is a little bit tough. Yeah, Thunder. I don't know what, if it's tough. I think it's tough on the upside. Yeah. Um, not on the downside. Like, most of these is tough on the downside to predict. Yeah. As opposed to the upside. Mm-hmm. Pels are hard. Suns ish maybe a little bit clippers for sure i think maybe it's just like votes on like 
does it all stick? And Clippers are obviously injuries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Warriors, Lakers, Wolves, and Raptors were the other teams receiving votes. Um, who has the most promising young core? Thunder, first place with 73%. It should not have been close. Yeah. I would probably agree. Cleveland is, I feel like, a good He's sec- a fine second place. I think the top three is like the very correct top three. It's not the wrong top three, but I just I wish Oklahoma City would have won it harder. Yeah, that makes sense. And then, well, because guys only vote for one team. That's the thing that like if they got a first, second, third, or maybe they do, and I'm just misunderstanding. No, they don't. From what I get, you get one vote. Yeah. So like someone looked at the Houston Rockets and were like, they are more promising than Oklahoma City. Yeah. That's weird to me. A little. That's weird. a weird. Yeah. A weird look. Definitely, definitely some different opinions there. Uh, which player is the most, most athletic, which is just a – this is the question on here that I just find the most interesting. Like it just kind of the most like um, random to me. But it's kind of just weird to like judge on like who who's the most athletic. But John Morant it, I think is a pretty good choice there. You can't go wrong. Uh, number one, Giannis is number two. Anthony Edwards is number three. Zion Williamson number four. Other guys receiving votes, Jalen Green, Shaden Sharp. All those guys are superstars they, they in terms of bouncing. Yeah, they did not uh, like mess up any athleticism stuff there. Yeah, Giannis, I think, is the only guy here that's like really benefits from his length, but obviously got a ton of athleticism He's to still go along a with freak it. Athlete, yeah, the, the length just like amplifies it, makes him a freak. Or maybe he's like a good, he's a great athlete, but then he becomes an elite freak athlete with the, the with the length. Mm-hmm. And then which player is the best pure shooter? This honestly is insane that he didn't get ninety seven percent. He there was two people, so three votes did not go to him, and one of them couldn't. Have. Four, yeah, four votes. So three votes that could have gone to him didn't go to him because he should have been at ninety seven. He's at ninety. So that means two votes. Did not yeah. go to him. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. One, One vote couldn't have, and the other two. two three, yeah. Yes, correct. Um, so 90%. Somehow he got 91 last year, though. That doesn't make any sense. Um, Weird rounding. Who knows? But uh, there would have to have been different number of GMs surveyed. But uh, maybe someone last year didn't respond. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it could be out of 29. And then uh, other people receiving votes, though. Kevin Durant, Luke Kennard, and Damian Lillard. All fine shooters, but I feel like it's just Steph. Yeah. There's no world where somebody should say that any of those guys are more more of a pure shooter than Steph Curry. Um, like the potential pure shooter in the history of basketball. Not, yeah, kind of solidified. That's one of the <laughs> one of the easier questions in that realm of like who's the best at this. Yeah, it's pretty easy. It's Steph. <laughs> um, which player is the fastest with the ball? De'Aaron Fox is in first place here. Uh, John Morant is in second. I think both of those make sense. Kyrie's interesting uh, getting a vote. I think it's just because of how shifty. I think he's the quickest shifty. with the ball. Yeah. He, quickest with the ball, not fastest. Yeah, he's very shifty with it. Hard to predict where he's about to go. Uh, Jaden Ivey is also a pretty good pick here. Uh, which player is the best at moving without the ball? Steph Curry is number one. Mikhail Bridges, number two. Clay Thompson, number three. Chris Middleton, number four. Uh, which Chris Middleton is like, he used to, in theory. but uh, hasn't been moving super well of late. Well, I think Steph is the other thing of like, he also does this at the potentially greatest of all time in terms of the NBA history. Yeah. Yeah. I um, mean, it, cause he, he really does it like a JJ Redick or a Cal Corver. Like he does their job 
but he, he also he's is a superstar with the ball in his hands, which yeah. is just an insane thing. Like two cards to, to have uh, in the fight is ins- like nobody else has ever had that uh, other than, I mean, Reggie Miller and Ray Allen, if the NBA would have been, if they would have come into to, in today's league, they would have dominated Done the and same thing. been closer to what Steph is than anybody else that we've seen, I, I think. Um, but those guys definitely paved the way for the league that we have now. Um, and then which player is the best passer? Nikola Jokic is first place with 67% of the votes. Luka Doncic is in second with 17. LeBron in third with seven. And then also receiving votes is Tyrese Halliburton, James Harden, and Chris Paul. Uh, so if, if for those that remember, when I gave my top four uh, several episodes ago now, probably like 10 episodes ago. You like four names that you'd be okay if they said Jokic instead of – they said X name instead of Jokic. Yeah, I had three guys. Yeah. Because so Jokic should be the fourth. So I, my order was like – I think I said Jokic, Luka, LeBron, and Tyrese Halberton. And so that's like pretty directly the order. Um Tyrese only got a one vote though, so he's tied with Harden and Chris Paul technically. Uh, but that's a pretty decent top six, honestly. It, it's hard to get mad at that. I might slide Ty, uh, Trey Young in above Chris Paul, maybe. Um, somebody like that would be a pretty good pick to slide in there. But uh, or Lamella Ball, even Josh Giddy could see some love. Uh, but yeah, next one is which player is the best leader? LeBron got first here, 27%. Steph, second, 23%. Jokic is third, which is a pretty good spot for him, I think. 17%. Uh, Jimmy Butler, Dame Lillard, and Chris Paul were all tied for fourth uh, with 7% each. And then other guys receiving votes, Giannis, Jalen Brunson, and Draymond Green. Oh, and Andrew Holiday. I think Draymond Green here is dumb. Yeah, it's a bit of a controversial pick. Uh <laughs> Just seems interesting. Yeah, Steph is right there. Depends on what you mean by leadership style, I guess. Like what that's, your definition of leadership fair. is. But I also sometimes like to whip my subordinates into shape by punching yeah. them against a wall. It's definitely a bit of a questionable, pretty old fashioned type of and trash definition. talking them on my Bleacher Report podcast. <laughs> yeah, or not Bleacher Report. Who does the podcast? I thought it was Bleacher Report. Honestly, it is Bleacher Report. Yeah. Um, who's the most versatile player in the NBA? Giannis, LeBron, KD. Uh, we don't need to go through all those. Uh, best basketball IQ, uh, Jokic is number one with 50%. LeBron and then Chris Paul, kind of the usual suspects. You got Steph Curry and Luka Doncic, who are the other players receiving votes. Which player would you want taking a shot with a game on the line? Steph Curry, number one. Um, Iguodala. <laughs> yeah, this is the one where I feel like Curry isn't necessarily like the definitive answer just because, I mean, like in a vacuum, just any shot in general should be Steph. But like Dame Dame Lillard, Dame. it might even be higher than Steph just on in these ones alone. You know, just what I mean? when the ice is like when like things are close, he just does things. You're like, wow, mm-hmm. he's in third and he's here. so just stone faced when he does it. Yeah, like Steph is like you've seen him jumping, but then there's like that video of Dame just like laying there looking at the camera, and everyone else around him is mobbing him. Mm-hmm. But then Steph like. And I would get excited too if I did the crazy stuff Steph does. But something about Dame is just wired to be like, mm-hmm. yeah, no, for sure. Um, Kevin Durant was in second place here. Dame was in third, tied for fourth. We got Jimmy Butler and Jokic uh, getting seven. I like the Jokic vote because Jokic has a lot of those Sambor shuffle at the buzzer, mm-hmm. even if it's not to win the game. But 
those like time crunch type of shots. I mean, we saw a game winner in person with our own two eyes. Yeah, and then he he got a literal buzzer beater game winner the very next game in Minnesota. After that one, so that was like two years ago, right? Two three years ago. That was his first MVP season, I think. We've been no, it was it was before COVID. That was in nineteen. So wow. it was the twenty season, but it was it, it was November. Before COVID happened. Yeah, it was in November of nineteen, I think. Yeah. Because was Brett Brown not fired yet? No. Yeah, he was still there. Okay. Um, and that yeah, that was before Jokic was like truly Jokic yet. Like it was right. That was the last time Embiid played in De- yeah in Denver. Yep, last time Embiid played in Denver, which is pretty insane. Hopefully, he does now after Deion Sanders gave him a a scolding pep talk. Um, or yeah, pep talk probably the better way to put it. But the the other guys who got votes here, Luka Doncic is a very good pick, and Kyrie Irving another really good pick. Um, which change? This is the last question. Uh, which change? In parentheses, it says in-season tournament, rest rules, something from the new CBA, etc. Um, will require the biggest adjustment. Uh, number one selection here was player participation policy at 37%. Number two is tax apron restrictions at 33%. Number three is in-season tournament at 13%. And then tied for fourth, we have the 65-game award rule. Which I don't know why those are different than the player participation. Because they're like kind of interwoven with one another. Uh, right? Or am I like mixing things up? They're different. I mean, they, they kind of are interwoven, I guess you, you could say. But like the 65-game award – like player participation policy has nothing to do with awards. Um, it just is in general. But the awards have to do with the participation. Yeah. So player participation policy is um, you can't have two stars. Like – so every te- every team, I think, like somebody arbitrarily defines who like the team's two stars are, and you cannot have both of those players sitting out the same game. Um, if unless it's like an injury, injury. yeah, unless they are complete, they're not cleared to play. Like if if it's if for anything in terms of rest or load management, they are not allowed to not play. One of them has to play. Um, the 65-game award rule is you're not just the- eligible for awards unless you've played 65 games. Um, and also, you have to play 24 minutes. 20, you have to average like some vague amount of minutes in the 65. I don't know if it's – I think it's like in order to, for a game to count, you have to play over 24 minutes, I think, or something like that. But then you get like a couple games that can be yeah. different than if, that. If there's a couple ones that are slightly missing it, then – It's supposed to be like with grace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then flopping text was also the other selection here. Oh, and extra coaches challenge, which I will end the episode on this. I think extra coaches challenge. I think this is dumb that they're like, they should have it. I agree with that. But why is it even like a thing that like you only get one more, even if you get a, like, if you get the coaches challenge, right. I feel like you should, there should be zero penalty whatsoever because the, the co- the refs are the ones that messed it up. Why should the coaches lose something of value for for correcting a call? You know what I mean? Yes. Like in volleyball, you you if you uh, win your challenge, you don't lose it. Like in volleyball, each team gets two, or at least in NCAA, each team gets two challenges for the whole game. Mm-hmm. Uh, one for the fifth set, also if you, they make it there. But you get two challenges for the whole game, and as until you lose a challenge is actually when you lose it. Like if you keep winning your challenges, you could end the game with two challenges still. And you've used like if 10 of them. 10. Yeah. 
like that, that happens kind of like a lot of times the coaches win their challenges in volleyball and they keep it. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I just think that should be how it, especially with like, I don't know. It just seems like that's the way it should be. Um, they made it a little bit worse this year with how, like it's better than last year overall, because now there's a second, you can retain your challenge if you win the first one. But the downside of that is you still lose your timeout when you win it the first time. Really? Yeah. In the NBA, that's wild. Because in the NFL, you get two, mm-hmm. and then, but you get your timeout back. You don't lose a timeout if you get it. You don't lose a timeout. If you get it wrong, you lose the timeout. Mm-hmm. But if you don't, that's crazy. That's how it was last year. But now, now since you get an extra challenge, they take your timeout away, basically. Hmm. Which is dumb. But um, that's my opinion on that. But yeah, so that will be today's episode. Um, we'll get to our picks for awards. It doesn't. I don't really care if it's after games have started. Honestly, um, it'll, it'll still, be, still be fresh early on in the season for us to make our picks. Um, but yeah, so everybody, thank you for listening. Check out the Patreon. Um, hit us up there at hoop.theory.com/slash/patreon or patreon.com/slash/hoop.theory. Uh, same thing with buy me a coffee. All these links should be in the description of the episode and the show, wherever you're listening to this. Um, please like, and subscribe on YouTube. Hit the bell also. So you don't miss anything. Yeah. And check out during the season. Our upload should be more consistent weekly. They were pretty consistent in the off season, but Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So we we should be recording at least an episode a week for the most part, unless, you know, something uh, exciting happens. Yeah. Then, then we should be adding another one in. Um, and then also uh, changing my my schedule for uploading shorts. Um, I'm still doing one a day, but I ha- like what I've been doing for the whole off season is one game video a day, like me playing a quiz or whatever, and then a pod clip the next day. Now that we're entering the season again, I'm doing pod clip every single day of the week other than Sunday is going to be a purdle clip. And then Wednesday is going to be rotating game clip um, will be the post those days. But there should be a short up on the TikTok feed and all those other places uh, every other every day of the week. So check us out there. Um, getting up there in, in subscribers or followers on there. We're at about 3,200. Get us to 5K. Maybe we'll do something. Maybe Jacob, Jacob's got the, the links with... Uh, getting jerseys maybe we could get a somebody a jersey jersey giveaway that'd be dope yeah um but we'll see we'll talk about the details maybe never but um (laughs) yeah thank you guys for listening stay happy stay healthy and we will talk to you guys next episode peace